But we have to pass the bill so that you can uh, find out what is in it. What? If you like your doctor, you will be able to keep your doctor. What difference at this point does it make? If you're looking to make sense out of what's going on in the world today, then you've come to the right place. Welcome to Southern Sense Talk Radio with your host, Annie, the Radio Chicky Bellis, and featuring Curtis C.S. Bennett and the most interesting guests that you'll find anywhere on Internet radio. And you can join the show and let your voice be heard by dialing 917-889-3675. So sit back, relax, and remember, Southern Sense is Common Sense. Headlines, breaking news. It's another hurricane. Oh, no, wait a minute. It's an earthquake. Oh, no, it's another riot going on. Oh, the world is falling apart. Every day, another shocking headline makes you wonder, what will tomorrow bring? That's why those who know what's coming are using today to prepare. I'm talking about getting your family some high-quality emergency food from My Patriot Supply. My Patriot Supply is the nation's leading preparedness company. They've been in business going on 14 years now, and they've served millions of American families. Now, they want to help you. By giving you $50 off their popular four-week emergency food kit, you'll get four weeks of food per person with meals designed to give you more than 2,000 calories a day. Oh, by the way, this food stays fresh for up to 25 years in proper storage. So it will be there when you need it. Other food goes bad fast. So don't wait. Go to preparewithsouthernsense.com and claim your four-week emergency food kit. You'll save 50 cents per 50 cents, no, not 50 cents, $50 per kit if you act now. Now, you can go to preparewithsouthernsense.com, or if you're listening to the show on my website, just go to the top left-hand corner, click on prepare. Go to Southern Sense, put a dash in the middle, southern-sense.com. Don't wait. Do it today. 
All right, and welcome back to another adventure here on Southern Sense. You're listening live on Blog Talk Radio, SHR Media, Global Enlightenment Radio, iTunes, Stitcher, Spreaker, YouTube, iHeart, Facebook. Ah, the heck with it. Just go to the name of the show, put a dash in the middle, southern-sense.com. I'm your hostess with the least most of the radio, Chickadee Annie, along with my co-host, Curtis C.S. Bennett. And, of course, figure it out. There goes my video stream down again. Ah, one of these days we're going to get this right. <laughs> another another exciting opening. <laughs> technologies these days are so unreliable, and this is, what, 2022? Wow. Oh, geez. I, I can't believe it. Well, I want to welcome everyone that's listening over at Facebook, uh, YouTube, over here, also on Blog Talk Radio, the chat room. Everyone's starting to climb into the chats. Uh, we're going to have a great show. Uh, we had some last-minute changes, so I was scrambling. We were supposed to have Joe Pinion, uh, who people know that he's a host over at uh, Newsmax, and he's also running against Chuck Schumer, or as I say, Schmuck Schumer. Um, but he had to cancel last minute last night because his travel plans changed. So he should be with us hopefully next week. Uh, also, uh, Congressman Troy Nels out of uh, Texas, he was supposed to be with us. And I got the message this morning. He had to go onto the Hall of Congress, so he's on the floor while he's supposed to be here with us. So he had to cancel last minute, and he will be with us next week. Um, if you don't know who he is, he's one of the ones, besides Louis Gohmert, who said the Capitol Police illegally entered their office and photographed sensitive documents covered by the Constitution. Uh, so there's a huge brouhaha going on about the breaching of security of our congressmen's uh, offices uh, by the Capitol Police. And we believe it was done at the bequest of nasty Pelosi. So we're going to delve into that all next week. But today we have Kat Kamak. She will be joining us. Uh, Anthony Sabatini, who's running for Congress out of Florida District 7. Carol Lieberman. Uh, known as the terrorist psychiatrist. Uh, so when we talk about Crazy Uncle Joe, oh, we've got a lot to talk about with her. Uh, and then Hans von Spakovsky. I just love saying his name. It just kind of like dances off my lips from the Heritage mm. Foundation. Uh, so last minute we scrambled and we filled in all the slots. So we got ourselves a rocking and rolling good show here today, Curtis. Rocking and rolling. Yeah. I was just thinking of our beloved Kel. And what she would have to say about this this truck convoy um, thing going up uh, in Canada, you know, it's interesting well, that this guy wants to declare a state emergency. But maybe we get to talk about that today. Well, we're going to bring that up with Dr. Carol Lieberman because uh, we're going to be talking about uh, the cognizant uh, abilities of our president. Uh, as well as a bunch of other things. And, man, I've got so many different areas I can go with this woman on on strange things that are happening out there. And the truckers are going to be one of them, along with uh, creepy Uncle Joe's brain, (laughs) if he still has one. I think it's more like mashed potatoes up there. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Robot. Oh, man. Uh, and I don't know if you've seen his last couple of times he's done some public speaking. When he goes to step away from the podium, his wife, Jill, has to go up there, grab him by the hand, and lead him away. These are all things we're going to be talking to her about. So it's going to be a really interesting conversation with her. Anyway, 
those that listen to the show know that we start off each and every show with a dedication to a fallen hero. And sometimes these dedications touch more lives than you ever know. And today's dedication is going to go out to Police Officer Diane Gonzalez of the New Haven Police Department in Connecticut. Her end of watch was Monday, January 10th of this year. And this is from the Officer Down Memorial page. Police Officer Diane Gonzalez succumbed to injuries sustained on September 10th 2008. Now, mind you, that's almost 14 years ago. When her patrol car collided with another patrol car when responding to a domestic violence call. Her patrol car collided with Sergeant Scott Aponte's patrol car at the intersection of East Street and Chapel Street as they both responded to the same call. Sergeant Aponte was killed in the crash. And Officer Gonzalez suffered a traumatic brain injury, causing her to slip into a coma. She remained in a coma until succumbing to her injuries 14 years later. Officer Gonzalez had served with the New Haven Police Department for 13 years at the time of the crash. She is survived by her son, two daughters, and a grandchild. And this is from Fox 61. The New Haven Police Department remembered one of their own on Thursday evening. Officers from the city and first responders across the state saluted an officer who passed away after a 13-year coma. Those who knew Officer Diane Gonzalez said that even it had been so many years, the pain still felt like it was yesterday. A black and purple bunting was hung outside the New Haven Police Department to remember Gonzalez and Sergeant Dario Scott Aponte. It was on September 9, 2008, when Gonzalez and Aponte responded separately to a report of a violent domestic dispute. On their way there, they got into a bad crash at the intersection of Chapel and East Streets where Gonzalez suffered the traumatic brain injury and Aponte died instantly. Gonzalez's body arrived at Bradley International Airport from Florida. Fox's 61, Tony Therese, captured the moment. On Twitter, he wrote, The procession with the hearse carrying longtime New Haven officer Diane Gonzalez just passed through Wallingford with firefighters and police saluting her. A procession was held at the intersection where the crash happened, and from there her body was brought to Jovain Funeral Home, where her family and fellow colleagues exchanged hugs and memories of Gonzalez. Diane was just a wonderful woman, kind, just kind to everyone. So I'm trying to remember today We really need to just be kind and remember that, said Stephanie Van Walgeen, a former member of the New Haven Police Department. She continues, to be able to bring her home in this way, to be able to honor her like she should be honored, we're thankful. Our heartfelt condolences to her family, who have been just so strong for so many years, and taking care of her, and really 
just the selfless act that is just within that as well, said the Haven Acting Police Chief, Renee Dominguez. She always had kind words for people, and she was truly, truly an amazing person, an amazing police officer, and it took this final tragedy. And now she's at peace, said David Hartman, a former public information officer of the New Haven Police Department. And finally, from the New Hampshire Register, by Ben Lambert. Officer Diane Gonzalez was laid to rest as colleagues and family remembered her warmth, toughness, and compassion and came together to honor both her life and her service. Gonzalez died Monday, January 10th, after suffering a traumatic brain injury and falling into a coma in 2008 following an on-duty crash. She was interred at Evergreen Cemetery, ushered there by a motorcycle procession of officers from around the region, including from Bridgeport, North Bradford, Hartford, and Greenwich. Yale Police Assistant Chief Anthony Campbell, formerly the police chief in New Haven, said during the service that he served with Gonzalez on the midnight shift when, she, when he was a young officer. When he met her, he said he was intrigued by her motherly nature. She always made sure she was taking care of the people around her, said Campbell. She understood how to be part of the family. Her love for her family was obvious, he said. When asked what she did for fun, he said she replied that she liked to take her family on vacation to Disneyland, Cape Cod, and Puerto Rico. She lit up when talking about the chance to care for her grandchild and she carried that spirit into her work as a police officer. He and another said both with her colleagues and with residents treating others with dignity and stern kindness. Campbell said he felt a sense of confidence when Gonzalez was called to a scene as his backup. She had a way of diffusing tension, de-escalating matters before it became fashionable in policing. She could both take command and impress upon others that she cared. She did her work with pride, with joy, with authority, he said. He said he once asked Gonzalez about her approach to the work. For him, a former divinity student, it was a form of ministry. She noted the rare privilege of the job. Out of the many who apply, only a few are chosen. In the finite span of a career, they have a chance to come to the aid of people in times of great need. She was truly the best of us, the ideal police officer. If there was an opportunity to help someone, she was going to do exactly that, said Campbell. In the ultimate way, she called us all friends. Interim Chief Renee Dominguez said Gonzalez had been a role model and a sounding board for her as a young officer as she worked through entering a male-dominated profession. Diane was the mother hen, caring for her chicks, said Dominguez. She was always there to help and guide, always there to back you up, always just there, no matter what was needed. Dominguez said the night of the crash remained vivid in her memory. It had altered the course of the lives of everyone in the department, she said. That night, a colleague used the word 
matriarch to describe Gonzalez, and it rang true. Gonzalez's passing was a dark moment, Dominguez said, but there was a light in it as well, noting that officers from around the region had come together in fellowship to honor her. Through her example, Dominguez said, Gonzalez reminded them all to love fiercely, to practice forgiveness, to take that chance to have coffee with a friend or spend time with a loved one. That is what death does to us, reminds us to live, said Dominguez. Diane, through her death, is telling you, is telling me to do some soul searching. Diane Mora, Gonzalez's daughter, said her mother indeed had taught them to be fearless. She fought for us, and for, and she fought with us like no other, said Mora. We never got the opportunity to tell you how proud we are of you, Mom. We are so proud. After remarks had been offered and taps and amazing grace played, the call marking Gonzalez's death went out over the radio. Officers lined up, two by two, to salute Gonzalez's cascot. The hum of traffic, evident from where reporters stood near the fence, dropped away near her headstone, fading with the distance. After the proceedings, retired officers David Hartman, Rebecca Goddard, and Stephanie Van Wilgen, Gonzalez's partner on the, fo- on the force, spoke fondly of their departed friend and colleague. Hartman recalled the words of Shirley Chisholm, the first African-American woman elected to Congress. Service is the rent we pay for the privilege of living on this earth. This is absolutely true with Diane, said Hartman. She will be sorely missed. Officer Diane Gonzalez, Stand down. You are in the tour. We'll take it from here. Today's show is dedicated to Officer Diane Gonzalez. It's also dedicated to all the brave men and women out there that serve as first responders, either law enforcement, firefighters, or emergency services. We also dedicate this show to all the brave men and women that serve in our armed forces. From the birth of this nation through today and into our proud future to come, we dedicate this song by Todd Allen Herendon. My name is America. May God bless each and every one. Protect and defend 
Live on Blog Talk Radio, SHR Media, Lone Star Daily News, iTunes, Stitcher, Spreaker, YouTube, Facebook, Global Entertainment Radio, and I forget half the other places I'm at. <laughs> Just go to the name of the show, put a dash in the middle, southern-sense.com. I'm your hostess with the least most is the radio chickadee, Annie, along with my courageous co-host, Curtis C.S. Bennett. Oh, man, Curtis, are we in for a day or are we in for a day? Looks like another great lineup, so I, I'm anticipating a, a great day. Super great, matter of fact, and very informative at that. So much going on, as you say, um, with races up in um, 
New York. Uh, I, you know, we just had on Andrew Giuliani. Now another Andrew is seeking possibly the office of governor up there. I wonder where his last name is. <laughs> oh, who's the other Andrew? Um, his father used to be the governor of New York. Well, we had Andrew Giuliani on. Oh no. Yeah. Oh no. Talking about ah. talking about the competitor, Cuomo. Oh, that's gonna go over real well. Oh yeah, yeah. I can see that going over real well. The mm. battle, the battle of the two Andrews. That would be very interesting. Uh, yeah, that would be. That would be. Well, listen. Um, before we start, I mean, I came across this joke, and I actually turned around, and I, I actually read this joke out to my mom, and she's not someone that appreciates little foul language humor, but I just could not resist. So I got, I've got to give it to you guys. I, I pulled this one up, and this is how the joke goes. This is from uh, American Freedom Fighters, and whoever thought this one up was just brilliant. Um, here we go. Nancy Pelosi called Chuck Schumer one day and said, I've got a plan to help us win in 2022 and help us maintain control of Congress and the Senate. Oh, great, Nancy, but how, asked Chuck. Well, we'll get some cheesy clothes and shoes like most of middle-class Americans wear, you know, that stuff, and then stop at the pound and pick up a Labrador retriever, and then we'll go to a nice old country bar, say, in uh, Montana, and show them how much admiration and respect we have for the hard-working people living there. You think they're going to believe them? And so they did, and they found just the place they were looking for in Bozeman, Montana. With the dog in tow, they walked inside and stepped up to the bar. And the bartender took a step back and said, Hey, aren't you Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi? Yes, we are, said Nancy. And what a lovely town you have here. Where we're passing through, and Chuck suggested we stop and take in some local color. So they ordered a round of bourbon for the whole bar and started chatting up a storm with anyone who would listen. A few minutes later, a grizzly old rancher came in, walked up to the Labrador, lifted up its tail, looked underneath, shrugged his shoulders, and walked out. A few minutes later, in came another old rancher. He walked up to the dog, lifted up its tail, looked underneath, scratched his head, and left the bar. For the next hour, another dozen ranchers came in, lifted the dog's tail, and left shaking their heads. Finally, Nancy asked, Why did all those ranchers come in and look under the dog's tail? Is it some sort of a custom? Oh, Lord, no, said the bartender. Someone's out there running around town claiming there's a Labrador retriever in here with two a-holes. Yeah, but uh, boom, you didn't get that. Yeah, I got Did it. Did I lose you? That was funny. <laughs> <laughs> Poor dog. I see why you there. couldn't resist two that. A- two a-holes. <laughs> oh man, I had more, my mom crack it up. Right. <laughs> While we're waiting for our first guest to call in, I don't know if anyone picked this up because I know the story went viral. Uh, I'm pretty sure a lot of people have seen this, but God bless the South. I mean, I may not have been born here, but I got here as soon as I could. I just got to love the mentality of the people in the South. Um, is the Georgia Police Department is offering up a Valentine's Day special for you troublemaking exes. 
So roses are red and vases are blue, just like the police lights coming for you. So as millions of lovebirds are exchanging flowers and chocolate and jewelry, the Rock Mart Police Department, located about an hour west of Atlanta, is encouraging citizens to remember the law-breaking ex-lovers. So their advertisement goes out like this. Do you have an ex-Valentine and know they have outstanding warrants? Do you have information that they are driving with drugs in their car? Give us a call with your location and we'll take care of the rest. The police department wrote on February 2nd their Facebook post, which is now at that point close to 1,000 shares on the social network. The offer was later shared on other platforms, including Instagram, where they gathered more than a quarter million uh, in the shade room. A Rockmark police went on to describe the non-traditional, all-inclusive stay for delinquent ex-lovers, which will not be the sort of couples resort experience that many will be having on February 14th. They go on and they have on the post, this Valentine's Day month-long special starts off with a set of limited edition platinum bracelets. You know, the cold handcuffs. Free transportation with the chauffeur. Uh, that's called a patrol car and a cop. One night minimum stay in a luxurious accommodations known as a jail cell. And professional glamour shots. Uh, yeah, your mug shot. That will be posted online for all to enjoy. This special is capped off with a special Valentine's Day dinner, they wrote. Yeah, jail gruel. <laughs> the others are my size, not what they put in there. We know this special is so incredible that you may be tempted to provide additional referrals. And we don't blame you, they wrote. Operators are standing by. <laughs> now, that's cute. Can Whoever you imagine? Has time to figure that one out. That's nice. <laughs> I just love it. I love it. I mean, some of the stuff that people come up with is so, so very, very clever. And we need a little humor, you know, with everything oh, yeah. that's going on lately. We need a little humor. I have to try that sometime, write, writing something humorous. Most of my, my <laughs> writings are pretty serious. <laughs> oh, man. I, I, it just... And you just never know. But I'm assuming this is our guest calling in on the line, so let's bring in. And I oh. believe we do have uh, Congresswoman yeah. Kat Kamak with us. Good afternoon, Kat. How are you today? Hey there. I'm doing great. How are y'all doing? Oh, oh we're doing fine. fine. We were just discussing just this uh, this police department here just south of me, outside of Atlanta, that put an ad in for a Valentine's month-long special to turn in your ex-lover, and they'll be happy if he's got drugs in the car or if there's an outstanding warrant. They'll be happy to pick up the ex-lover for you. Did you catch that? <laughs> no, I, I did not catch that story, but uh, <laughs> that's pretty dang Only creative. In the South. i got to give them credit. <laughs> Only, the Only in the South. <laughs> You know, like oh, you, yeah. I may not have been born down here, but I got here as soon as I could. Because, you know, you just you just got to yeah, love exactly. the, the way that we handle things down here. And I was telling my tea party the other day because I had a bunch of new people all coming from the north, moving here to the red state because of fleeing the blue. And I said, first thing you learn when you come down south, we don't give a damn how you did it up north. <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly right. Don't bring your politics with you. We got our, our way of doing things. Bring your money, yes, not your politics. <laughs> exactly, exactly. That's a pretty dang funny story, though. 
<laughs> Man, you know, you've been a busy little bee over in Congress. You've got yourselves a couple of bills up there, and one of them has to do with the uh, fentanyl uh, uh, epidemic that we have here. And uh, you put up, along with 100 other Republicans, uh, a letter to uh, President Biden asking them to keep it as a Schedule One substance. Explain to us what that's all about. Well, you know, I think it's pretty crazy that we're living in a time when the government spends $30 million to give out free crack pipes and needles to drug addicts and then turns around and says we're not interested in um, keeping one of the most dangerous, deadly drugs as a Schedule One, And it, it, clearly we know that this is a problem, uh, fentanyl, was the cause of death for over 100,000 Americans last year, and it's impacting every single community. doesn't matter if you are white or black or young or old, if you are rich or poor. It, it, it makes no difference. It does not discriminate. It is a deadly drug that is basically poisoning our country. And the cartels, they manufacture fentanyl and mix it with a variety of different things. They, they cut it with a, a bunch of different chemicals. They can alter the molecular um, structure of, of the chemical to make it so that, the, that if it does get picked up, um, that the sentencing is not as harsh. And to me, that's just ridiculous. This isn't a, a partisan issue. This is a bipartisan issue. And we brought this bill up, um, my, my colleague um, from Virginia, he brought this bill to the floor, and the Democrats would not vote on it. They wouldn't pick it up. And I think that's just so heartbreaking that we now live in a time when we can't even come together and agree that drugs are bad. And then, of course, you know, immediately after the Democrats turned our bill down, um, to stop the flow of fentanyl from coming in our our country. Then we saw the announcement from the White House that they are now going to be giving out $30 million worth of free crack pipes. So it is a totally topsy-turvy world we're living in right now, and it's completely insane. And quite frankly, I can't wait until Republicans take the House back so we can restore some sense of common sense in, into the equation. You know, uh Putting crack pipes on the street is not going to solve a drug problem. It's only going to increase it. So don't you think that they would mix the crack with some of the, they already mixed it with heroin, and mix it with some of the fentanyl to make it a little bit more potent? And isn't that going to cause even more deaths? I'm sorry. Uh, I was one of the cops there on the streets of Brooklyn cleaning up the crack mess. And when we finally got the streets clean under Giuliani, now he's going to turn around and just put it right back in. Now, most of the fentanyl coming in is not being manufactured by the cartels in, in the south of the border. It's being manufactured in China, transported to the cartels. So the cartels are working with the Chinese Communist Party to import all this stuff. But we've got an open border, and we've got human trafficking, and they're using mules and then once the mules come across with the fentanyl, then they end up part of the human trafficking system. So they're just compounding the problem. Exactly. And, and people don't really put the, the connection together that all of the raw materials are coming from China. And there is a direct connection between the cartels and what is happening in mainland China. I actually was at the border um, a couple times last year and – 
when I was speaking with Homeland Security Investigations, several of their agents are working cases that deal directly with China and the relationship between the cartels where they actively go and seek um, these contacts out in China. They've established these relationships, and they not only smuggle products and, and get these, these very dangerous um, uh, chemicals and raw materials over to Mexico so that they can begin production, but they're also smuggling people. They're getting people um, over from mainland China into our country at you know $75,000 a pop. China is a very, Whoa. very big, lucrative. Uh, yeah, it, it's pretty, it, it's incredible what, what we've seen. Um, it is a very dangerous relationship that continues to deepen and grow. The cartels and the Chinese Communist Party, that is something that no one really is talking about. And it's, it's a real problem for what we're facing in terms of national security and homeland security. So something that we're cognizant of, but I mean, if we can't even get Democrats to agree that fentanyl is a bad drug that should not be in our country and they're not willing to put some, some lines in the sand that say, hey, we're going to take a stand against this, we're in a pretty bad spot. You know, it's, it's even worse than people imagine because we already knew that the cartels were working with Islamic terrorists. We know that they've been working with Hezbollah yeah. and several other Islamic yeah. terrorist groups. We know that. But now we gave up Afghanistan, which gave communist China direct access to a growing caliphate going from Afghanistan, Tajikistan, Pakistan, all the way over to touching on Israel. You know, they've opened it wide up for the communist China to then control the Islamic caliphate. So you've got the caliphate, you've got communist China, you've got the cartels. So you've got more than half the world at this point against the United States. And what do we do? We leave the border wide open for our enemies just to traipse across. Yep. That's, that's the thing. I mean, uh, we know that the open border policies are extraordinarily dangerous for a number of reasons from a, a public health standpoint. Um, you know, in some places around the country, you're now required to show a vaccination card and an ID. But if you're at the southwest border trying to get into our country, come on in. You know, that's, that's the saying of this administration. And, you know, we know that that public health crisis is a major issue. We know that the trafficking that is taking place, these kids and, and women that are being used, abused, and trafficked, it's, it's the most heartbreaking um, thing that you could ever possibly see um, and, and the stories and, and victims that I've talked to personally. Um, it'll just, it'll keep you up at night. And then of course we know um, from the national security standpoint, the individuals that are on the international terrorist watch list, we've apprehended a number of these individuals at our Southwest border. And that that's extraordinarily concerning because we're seeing these individuals that are being apprehended, we know that there's over 500,000 individuals that are quote-unquote gotaways. And so there's probably an element of, of those types that are in that group of gotaways that we can't account for. And the message has been sent across the globe that this administration is weak, they won't enforce the laws on the books, and that if there was ever a time to come to the United States, it's now. And so when you look at the numbers and the different nationalities, over 141 different nationalities that have been apprehended at the southwest border, number nine and one of our busiest sectors is actually Romania. 
you can't take a boat. <laughs> you know, it's not you can't walk from Romania to the to the the southwest border. There is some real time and effort and money that goes into transporting vast numbers of people. And when we have Romania as the most apprehended nationality at our southwest border, you know that something is extraordinarily off. And you know that the word has gotten out around the globe that this is a porous opportunity for people to do bad things to our country. You know, back in the early 90s, I remember sitting in a doctor's office, and I still, I've not been able to find the magazine, but I remember reading it. It was either Newsweek or Time, and it had on the front cover about the porous border. Now, this was back in the, it was like maybe 1990, 91, maybe 89, about the OTMs, other than Mexicans coming over. And even back then, they talked about finding uh, Korans and prayer rugs in the in the desert they also talked about having some of the signs printed in chinese so when people crossed over yeah. they know what to do you know we had this back we're talking 30 years ago and we still have we started to solve the problem but we haven't been able to under this administration now one of the things that you do is you have also a bill on human trafficking. I want to get to that in a second. But for some reason yeah. you've got a bunch of brain dead rhinos that put up on the floor a bill for amnesty for illegal aliens already here. So they're opening up the possibility within the next 15 years of something of more than 15 million or more illegal aliens that have just crossed under this administration to become legal citizens. Now, this is scary. I mean, what is going through these people's head? These are supposed to be Republicans? Yeah, it's, amnesty is a non-starter. We cannot and will not allow amnesty to take place. We saw under the Reagan era that amnesty was granted and the problem was not fixed. Um, so we need to get very serious about immigration, about, first and foremost, closing our borders. I mean, I, I think we all can recognize and agree that the system, the immigration system, is broke. It, it has been broken for years, and Republicans and Democrats have been guilty of not fixing it. But first and foremost, we need to secure the dang border. It is so simple. It is, it is nothing more than a, a will of the administration to say, we are going to support our Customs and Border Patrol agents. We're going to build the wall. We are going to use all technology at our disposal to make sure that there is no gaps. We are going to do what we are constitutionally charged with doing, and that is providing for the common defense, for securing our borders. It is a very simple notion, and it seems to be the hardest one for this administration in particular. But I think you'll find that there, there are going to be proposals that fly left, right, and center on the immigration debate. But I can tell you unequivocally that conservatives will never, ever accept an amnesty provision. That will not happen, and I will fight an amnesty provision harder than anybody. I think we cannot, yeah. we cannot begin to have that conversation unless that is an understood underlying principle. Well, you know, I, I was wondering whether or not you wanted to walk over to your fellow congresswoman, uh, Maria Salazar, and slap her upside the side of her head and go, what are you thinking? Because she's the one that proposed this Dignity Act. 
And uh, and if, if, if any of you are listening and I mention your congressperson's name, reach out to them and give them a, a good what for. Out of Washington, Dan Newhouse, Utah, John Curtis, Texas, Pete Sessions. Why did they reelect him? Um, Puerto Rico, Jennifer Gonzalez Colon. Out of New York, Tom Reed. And out of Michigan, Peter Mayor. These are the rhinos that are backing this Dignity Act, which is anything but that because they're saying that they want to give amnesty to between 13 to 22 illegal immigrants. Um, but they want, they want to restart the border contracts, in other words, to p- re- complete the border construction. But while these people are now trapped here in the United States, they want a 100% mandatory nationwide E-Verify. So how are these 13 to 22 million people going to work if you require E-Verify? Because then you're going to pop up and say that you're here illegal and you can't work. So it, it, it's like, you, you know what I'm trying to say? It just, yeah, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, this, and, this and I think that's, I think that gets back to the to what we, we we need to go back to the basics. I mean, we have a process in place. Is it a perfect process? No, but it is one that millions of people have gone through the proper channels of coming to this country, doing it the right way. And I think there's absolutely things that we can do to that common sense fixes to the immigration system. But to your point, you know, you can't do. Um, you can't set up people in a, in a way that who have been here for, for, oh, my gosh, years and years and years and years and years, do a, a national E-Verify, and then we don't have any deportations, which, by the way, here's, here's something that was interesting. The, the ICE report just came out, um, and the, the results, you know, the, the verdict on Biden's first year, deportations are down 70%, 70%. Oof. When border crossings are at the highest, two million in a single year. I mean, I, I hope people are seeing this for what it is, it, and that is that this is a national security threat. It is the number one national security threat. And I used to say that our debt was, and it is still very much a, a problem as it continues to go up. But we are we have an invasion on our southwest border, and and it's just. I know there's a lot of infighting within the the Republican Party on this issue, and I I do believe at the end of the day that the conservatives will prevail, but you said something, you touched on something that is so, so important that not many people talk about, and that is the communication and advocacy of people, everyday Americans, talking to their representatives. That does not happen near enough. And you listed out you listed out the names of, of some Republicans. If if you are a constituent, call your representative. People do not understand the power that they have when they can pick up the phone and give their opinion and talk to their representatives. That is the most powerful thing. That's far more powerful than a member to member conversation. And and I wish people really exercised their constitutional duty, their their civic duty in really engaging in, in, in a way that moves the needle. And I, I thank you for bringing that up, by the way. Okay. Oh, well, you know, you know I'm, a, I'm a Tea Party person because when we had Beer Can Joe as our representative, you know, Joe Cunningham, <laughs> uh, we had a, a, 
Joe. Yeah, Beer Can Joe. I I had the poster sitting in my office that I carried because I had him there with the two beer cans uh, until the cat pissed on it. It goes to tell you the the, the, the opinion my cat right. had on Beer Can Joe. But we held a rally when they were going through the impeachment proceedings. And it was like, Beer Can Joe, just say no. And I told everyone, you know, we're going to go into his office. But you're going to leave the signs outside, and any conversation we have is going to be very, very civil. You just very simply state why we're here, that we don't want him to vote for the impeachment, blah, blah, blah. We knew he was going to do it anyway. But, you know, they they write down who you are and what you're talking to them about, and they keep track. How many people called about this uh, item? How many people called about that? Who actually took the time to walk in the office? Who sent the letter? You know, they, they keep track yep. of all that. And, and people have to understand, yes, your voice matters. So use it. Yes. Yes. Okay. And that's the thing that, that people don't realize. Their voice is so powerful, and there's nothing that a career politician fears more than an educated, motivated, and engaged constituent. Okay. Yep. Go ahead, Curtis. Hey, this is C.S. We hear a hey, lot about, uh, yeah, haven't seen you in a while, you and Jim Jordan. <laughs> I was going to say, I saw you the other weekend with Jim Jordan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was just being, being snarty. But anyway, uh, we, we hear a lot about AOC and the squad on the left and how they yeah. seem to exert a lot of influence over their leadership. Um namely, you know, Nancy and um, Chuck and their agenda. And um, on our side, we hear a lot about you, which is fantastic, and Jim Jordan. But how come we really don't hear much from the Freedom Caucus? I mean, we we need to um, stand up to our leadership. It, it's really going to be difficult if we do um, re- regain the House and um, we still keep Mitch McConnell here. You know, we have to change leadership, and I think we have to um, stand up to the established, you know, Republicans to do that. What are your thoughts on that? You know, it's it's interesting. The dynamics between the Senate and the House are so different. You know, they're two totally different beasts, and I can't speak for, for Mitch McConnell and, and the dynamics in the Senate. It's totally different. Um, you know, so that'll be... That'll really be something interesting to watch with um, Republicans in the Senate to see how they handle um, that dynamic, that leadership dynamic. In the House, I think when you're in the minority, it's really easy to be united behind a no, right? You know, we we oppose what this administration is doing, and, you know, more than that, we speak out and we get very vocal about why it's so important that we take the House back. So I I think fracturing um, as a party is, is kind of silly when you're in the minority because it's like you're not going to get your stuff passed anyway. So why, why even expend the energy? We should be putting that time towards building out a plan that we then execute on the plan. And then we hold everybody accountable who's been living a double standard under the Obama years. Right. And uh, one of the things that we've been working on is uh, getting a very, very conservative, plan together of action items, agenda items that we all collectively as a block move on. I think as just a regular citizen, 
I can't think of anything more important than one accountability for the first time in a long time. We need to hold people who have broken the law, people like Hillary Clinton, people like Eric Holder, um, Lois Lerner. Um, these are people who have been let off the hook because they are politically connected and they're part of an elite class that lives by a different set of rules in our country. I, as an American citizen, I want accountability and I want to see the record set straight because if we don't, I think the American people will lose faith in our system. So that's first and foremost something that we all can be united on. And, and my goal is to see more of a united front amongst the Republican conference. We saw how the fracture of um, the, the Freedom Caucus and the, the moderate group and, and Trump all were. And, and Trump, poor guy, had to go on his own and pretty much do things by executive order because Congress couldn't get their stuff together. We can't make that same mistake. We have to be united. We have to present a conservative front. And, and that's why I think you'll see, you'll see people like Jim Jordan support Kevin, McCor- uh, Kevin McCarthy. Uh, Jim Jordan's been vocal about saying that he supports Kevin McCarthy. Um, my goal is to find ways that we can bring our more moderate colleagues along and basically let them know that, hey, this is the direction we're going. The train's leaving the station. You're either on it or you're off it. But we have to be united. We have to be united because fracturing guarantees that we will not take the House back in 24. And I don't know about you, but I can't do another four years of Joe Biden. I can't. <laughs> I don't think he's going to survive. I actually did not think he was going to survive the first six months. And I said this on the show that I thought he was going to be that bad. But we're seeing him just do major meltdowns. And that's something we're going to talk about later on the show because we got Dr. Carol Lieberman coming on. And uh, we're going to have her break down the psychological aspect of that. I mean, I, I, I don't think the nation can tolerate even another two more years of this man. Oh, my goodness. Oh. And then the alternative, Kamala Harris? Oh, no. No, not, not, not Queen Kamala Mella. No, 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 please, no. Oh, oh. <laughs> stop. That's the stuff of my nightmares. <laughs> Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I wanted to get into this other bill that you have out there also that deals with uh, human trafficking. You're introducing the Human Trafficking Awareness Training Act. And I, I think this yes. is important because you, you go and you, you want first responders to be better trained to recognize human trafficking. But I would say this probably makes you go a little bit even further than that. So also do it for, you know, teachers, educators, guidance counselors, and things like that, where they're going to in- interact with these kids on levels that, you know, you normally wouldn't think of. Yeah. You know, it, it, there's so much work to be done when it comes to the trafficking issue. We're seeing more and more instances of trafficking popping up in our communities. And, you know, I, I think this is one issue, again, that, we should not be uh, Republicans versus Democrats on. I mean, this is a, this is a human issue. Trafficking is modern day slavery and it should disgust every single person um, that this is happening in our backyards. And when I look at, you know, our first responders, my husband being a, a firefighter and a SWAT medic, I mean, he, he sees these situations and he has picked up on indicators where situations are, you know, they're, they're very dangerous. They're not right. Something's amiss. And um, 
we just don't have the capacity to really equip every single first responder at this point with the, the training that they need in order to pick up on all these indicators. But then more than that, um, the victims and how you, how you can work with the victims after a case is made. And I mean, it's just, it's a huge undertaking. So with this for us is not the, the end all be all. This is the first step in a larger plan that we want to undertake to really help get rid of trafficking in the United States and then set the stage for, you know, uh, what we can then do by example and hope other countries follow our lead. Um, first responders being police officers, nurses, um, firefighters, uh, EMTs, they have unique capability to see people in environments that you wouldn't otherwise see. And when I talk with FLETSI, which is the Federal Law Enforcement Training Center, they are so overwhelmed with requests for this type of training that they're like, hey, if you guys could just open, make it so that we can actually shift some money around to do training for these groups of people, all these different departments, we could accommodate over 10,000 um, different agents and, and law enforcement officers and firefighters being trained. And to me, that's a common sense thing. I mean, leave it to the government to make something as simple as, hey, we need to you know, reallocate some resources. They want to make it as difficult as possible and, of course, requiring an act of Congress. So our bill just <laughs> simply says we're going to reallocate some funds that are existing. Uh, I'm a hardcore fiscal conservative, so we don't spend new money. But um, finding creative ways where we can fund these programs to get that ball rolling and then eventually branch out into teachers and to hospitals, hotels. Um, you know, there's so much uh, nefarious activity happening in our communities. And um, so it's a first step and one of many. We think that it's going to be very successful in getting uh, passed in the House of Representatives. Even under a Democrat majority, we're working to try to get people to see the light on this. And I think all of us, it's important that we take a stand against trafficking. Yeah, because you know, it's not just people coming across the border illegally in human trafficking. It could be the house next yeah. door to you, the kid that goes on their smart device and ends up connecting with someone who pretends to be another child, the same age, same interest, but it's an adult luring them out of the home to then take them into human trafficking to enslave them. And usually it's for the sex trade. You know, it's, it's something that may be happening within your own family without you even realizing it. You know, we've done many shows on this one where we had one woman who ended up, you know, uh, with voices against uh, trafficking, where she was trafficked at the age of six months by her own parents. So, oh. you know, a lot of times it's, oh. it's something where you, you think you're in a nice little bedroom community, but something across the street or next door to you may be happening. So we need to raise awareness. So this is a good first step. You know, I've got a friend of mine, we were pushing for some legislation uh, dealing with the critical race theory uh, here in mm -hmm. South Carolina. And as we were looking at the different bills, everyone's going, no, I like this one better. And says, wait a minute, this is the most basic. This is the one that gets to the heart of the matter. Let's get the foot in the door. Once we get this legislation in, then you can tack everything else in afterwards as amendments. Once you get it passed, then you can amend it. But let's get the foot yep. in the door because you've got this one over here has so many bells and whistles on it, it'll never pass. So let's stick with the basics. Exactly. And once 
and that's what people don't understand. That's why I, I threw that out there, like, you know, would you expand this? And if, yeah, so basically you're saying, yes, we'll expand it, but down the road, let's get it passed first. And that's the important part. Exactly. And you hit right on it. I mean, spot on. The stuff that's happening, it, it comes in a different way for so many different situations and, and different groups. I, I We had a situation in Gainesville, Florida, where there were boys that were recruiting girls in middle school and the boys were being paid by traffickers by each girl they brought to these parties where the girls were then sexually assaulted. It was videotaped and the traffickers were telling these girls, they said, if you don't work for us now, you're, we're going to, we're going to send this video out. And I, I mean, it was, it's stuff like that that people don't realize. And, and it happens in every neighborhood, in every city, and it is just something that, like I said, we we need to take a very firm stand against against this. And um, everybody has a role to play. So I appreciate what you guys are doing in, in continuing to help keep the word out and keep educating people on how dangerous and how pre- uh, prevalent it is in our community. Yeah, it is. And if people don't realize how insidious it is. So we may talk about just the border, but it's, hey, Look around you, and sometimes you're going to see something not even realizing what it is. And if you get that little light bulb going off, you know, pick up the phone, make the call, and say, I see something suspicious, and you may want to check it out. You know, don't be afraid. You can still make it an anonymous call, but don't, don't stand there on the sidelines. We can't stand on the sidelines anymore. You know, exactly. talking, about our, talking about our kids, this is something else that you, you and Senator Rubio got together with the Keep Kids in School Act of 2022. Yeah. I, we've lost an entire generation of kids because of COVID, because of the lockdowns, because of these stupid masks. How, how do we reclaim our kids? And how else, unless we get them back to school, get the masks off and start teaching them just the ABCs again? It, 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 tell me it's not asinine. When you have bureaucrats in a basement in Washington who say, we've got hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars that's going to go to to open up our schools again. This is all for safety precautions. And instead, the school districts are using it to pay salaries of school board members, which is a whole other issue. But then they're saying, um, no, you know, we actually, we're going to keep our kids at home behind a computer screen and we're still going to take the money. So what are you doing? Putting plexiglass up in empty schools? I didn't realize that schools needed hundreds of millions of dollars for safety precautions when they don't even have kids in the classroom. It's asinine. It's another total abuse of the bureaucratic system that is in place that needs to be broken up. And and so we we were saying there's no way we're going to let another 160-some-odd million dollars go without the accountability measures being in place. I think it's absolutely asinine that they're taking money without having kids in school. And we know that this is completely damaging to the the social development and well-being of our kids, not being in school, not having those critical um, interactions. I mean, we, if you told me two years ago that we would be here, I would have thought you were nuts. But we have kids today in the second grade that don't know what it's like to have in-person learning. I cannot believe that that's where we are at. 
And so I think being a good steward of taxpayer dollars, this was a common sense thing to do. I'm glad we got a, a, a Senate companion on this. And again, it shouldn't be a Republican thing. I mean, I don't understand. This is, this is money that was set aside through a COVID package to make schools safer. Well, why do we need to do that if they're not even going to be in person? It makes no sense. So, again, common sense isn't common, but uh, I don't know. Maybe that's why we're doing the seventh thing. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it, it's such a hodgepodge, you know, way of schools opening up. I mean, you have the governor of Virginia, a young kid that just came in. He put down an executive order saying, you know, no mandates, but you still then have the Loudoun School superintendent just completely ignore the governor's executive order and said, no, mask mandates, vaccine mandates. And I don't know if you saw the school board meeting that recently happened where the students showed up with affidavits and petitions to present before the school board. Now, the school board is sitting behind plexiglass. They're sectioned off from each other. So between each one of the board members, there's plexiglass. They're all wearing masks. And these kids come walking in with these affidavits, and then board members start to stand up and walk out of the meeting. Thankfully, the parents there yelled at them and says, no, you have to sign for these affidavits. These are legal documents. You've got to sit there and sign them and accept them. I mean, mm-hmm. we need a parent revolution. And someone like you, a parent, is starting the revolution from the one side of the aisle. Now we've got to get ourselves up off our seats and – do what these kids have the courage to do. Speak out, stand up, and, and challenge the school board. Exactly. I mean, I, I saw that video, and I just I was so stinking proud. I mean, these kids are really getting an education in, in civics firsthand and really getting to understand why our constitutional republic is so important and why it's critical that their generation gets involved and engaged because – not passed down in the bloodstream freedom is not passed down in the bloodstream and they've got to fight for it just like so many other generations in our country has and so this is the fight of our generation and i think as the youngest republican woman in the country today that's going to be my fight is making sure that my my peers know how fragile the system can be if we don't pay attention if we allow others to do our bidding for us and so I think you're seeing across the country a whole lot of moms and dads finally raising their head up and saying, you know what, we've been going from from work to home and back again, and we've just been living life, and we didn't realize what was happening. We need to get involved, and you're seeing that all across the country. I think in the midterms you're going to see even more of that at a variety of different levels in races and Overall, despite the challenges, I'm encouraged, truly. So am I. You know, there is a huge fight back, and it's coming from the red states, and the blue states are now starting to go, wait a minute, how come it's working so well for them and it's not working here? Now you see the blue states starting to drop the mask mandates and things like that. But then again, you've got Governor Holcomb in uh, New York. Oh, you don't need masks anymore, except unless you're a kid going to school. Wait, wait, wait. The one section of of the population that is the least in danger of getting or spreading COVID, the the one section of the population that has the least amount of problems and the lowest number of deaths, 
and you're going to still restrict them, but everyone else is fine. Oh, yeah, okay. That means... <laughs> Crazy talk. <laughs> no. Crazy talk. It is. Uh, it is. Uh, it is. Oh, but then again, i gotta, I got to bless the guys up in, in New York City because the first responders all got together with nurses and teachers, and they had a massive protest. And those that were already vaccinated that were not going to lose their job marched with them, tearing up their vaccination passports, saying, no, we're standing united. If they get fired, then also, I don't have a vaccine passport anymore. I just tore it up. So you're going to have to fire me, too. So they're standing side by side. And that's what it's going to take. That's what it's going to take to take our nation back. But talking about the COVID, this is something else that you've been working on. And I mean, what this president and administration has been doing to your state of Florida is just absolutely criminal. But stopping the um, monoclonal antibody therapies, the FDA and Health and Human Services have been restricting what can and cannot be used to treat COVID. And we've been having... Time after time, things like ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine, they work. But, oh, no, no, if, if you use them, you can lose your medical license. Wait a minute. Yeah, you know, we, are, actually, we, we started. Oh, I'm sorry. No, go ahead, please. Well, you know, when that came out, and, and of course, you know, my governor, he's been on the forefront for, you know, making early treatment available um, at, at one point in time before the, the federal government came in and shut, it, shut us down, um, there were monoclonal antibody treatment sites within two hours for every single Floridian. So the, there was access for folks that wanted to, to take advantage of that. And we knew that the monoclonal antibody treatments were working. They were saving lives. And um, there was no discrimination of if you were vaccinated or not that wasn't a requirement for getting treatment. And so Governor DeSantis, you know, in his, um, in, in his true leadership fashion, I mean, he really did the, the thing that um, so many people around the country were calling for. It was common sense. It was thoughtful. Uh, it was proactive. And, of course, leave it to the federal government to come in and uh, kill a good idea and a good plan. So we, we immediately got on the horn. We were sending um, congressional inquiries uh, along with several of our colleagues and leading several of the, the efforts to demand why this was going on within 24 hours of them stopping the treatment um, facilities and shutting them down. We were on a call with the FDA, and the FDA couldn't even provide us answers as to why. And I think that when you are putting profits above people, when you are willing to play politics with people's lives because the administration didn't like the success of Florida's antibody treatment program because they, they knew that it flies in the face of their draconian lockdown, that's criminal. And that's when big pharma and the roles that they play in the advisory boards on the FDA need to be exposed and it needs to be highlighted and it needs to be changed. So when I, when I was talking earlier about this accountability that's going to be taking place in the 118th Congress starting next year, we're going to be leading a fight to expose Fauci, to expose the NIH, to expose the FDA, and how they have continually 
ignored the data, ignored science, ignored common sense, all in the name of political agendas and profits. And now what we're doing is, you know, continuing to push for entities like compounding pharmacies who can provide folks at the discretion of pharma, um, at the discretion of doctors, um, ivermectin and other treatments that we know that work. And I actually was speaking with a doctor the other day who his license, along with thousands of other doctors, are being threatened to, you know, be pulled if they continue to prescribe treatments for their patients. All that will be rectified. That will it will not stand. And so I, I, I hope that it's encouraging for folks that are going through these challenges right now of, hey, my license is being threatened or uh, legal action is possibly going to be taken against me or, you know, what, whatever situation people are facing in the, the COVID world right now, there is going to be a reckoning. And there will be retroactive um, uh, steps taken to make sure that a lot of the wrongs that took place under this administration are made right. So, like I said, I go back to the fact that no matter how dark and, and challenging it is right now, I feel very optimistic that we will have an overwhelming red wave in November. And it's, and it's not just enough to have an R behind your name, but we want true conservatives that are really will, willing to put in the work and, and do the right thing for the country and putting America first. So I'm pretty encouraged for that. Yeah, and well, I, right now- I would like to add to that. You're so right. We, we have to do a better job of vetting people. A lot of people know yeah. just what to say because they know what we're looking for, but they change their stripes once they get into inside the beltway. And um, mm-hmm. I was just curious if you, if you had some idea of how we could better vet candidates. You know, it's, it's interesting. There's um, a couple of different ways that, um, you know, we get contacted by candidates all over the country, you know, asking for endorsements and support. And, and I have not um, endorsed a candidate yet this year or this cycle because I want to do my homework and really understanding who they are at their core. There's a lot of, like you said, Curtis, um, so many candidates say exactly what you want them to say. And um, when you dig even just an inch deep, turns out, oh, you were a registered Democrat as of last year, and oh, you didn't like President Trump, and oh, you had some pretty horrible things to say about conservatives just a few years ago, and oh, you criticized the Tea Party, and you started finding out that they they don't believe what they're saying. They're just trying to get you to come along so that they can benefit from from your support, and so the way that I, I am approaching this personally, and I think everyone has their own way of doing it, is we've launched a leadership initiative that's called American Grit. And it is a, a mentoring program for candidates around the country. We're picking 15 candidates that uh, we're hoping will join us in Congress. And these are going to be very conservative, America first um, patriots. These are folks that um, I want them to have a working class background. I want moms. I want firefighters, law enforcement officers, veterans, business owners. I don't need I don't need another career politician or a trial attorney in Washington. We need people with real life experiences who have been through things that can speak to how these big government policies impact us, we the people. And so. That's what we're doing is launching this leadership initiative that has 
uh, a vetting process where, I mean, we're doing background checks. We have researchers that are digging into the, the histories of these people because we need people who really believe in what our conservative principles are. We need people who believe in faith and family and freedom and who are small government conservatives because you've got a lot of so-called conservatives that are big government people. And I think we flourish as a nation when we have small government. And so those are, those are the things that we're working on. And I think follow the organizations that really stick to who they, they support and, and espouse the the values that you believe in. Um, There's a lot of third party organizations out there that just raise money and pay salaries and they don't do a whole lot in supporting conservatives. So got to be careful for that kind of stuff too. Well, right now, and my team got, is actually looking uh, at me right now, telling me that I have to walk out the door, <laughs> otherwise I'm going to be late for my next meeting. <laughs> All right. Well, I'll probably be getting in touch with your office because we've got uh, Nancy Mays' seat is up and running. So I've been bringing different candidates into our Tea Party meetings, so we get to meet them one-on-one, head-to-head. And uh, I'm going to throw some names past you and see what your office comes up with. That sounds good. Well, I can't thank you enough for you guys giving me the opportunity to come on and thank you again. And you guys are always on top of it and awesome to catch up with. Uh, it's All right. So Kat, Kamak, people can find you at kamak.house.gov. God bless you for all the hard work you do. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Right. Yep. Check out Kat Kamak at her website, kamak.house.gov. She's doing a great job for uh for Florida there. I mean, she said she was going to be completely conservative when she came on when she was running, and she's kept her word. So it's always good oh, and yeah. refreshing to see that when they, when they actually do follow through. And we've, yeah. we've been disappointed with Nancy Mace down here. Uh, so there's oh, a lot of man. us that are looking to see who else can step into that seat. I mean, it's, it's a lot better than Beer Can Joe. i got to admit that. I mean, we're just glad that Beer Can Joe had got to go. Uh, even though he's still trying to get the seat back. Uh, he was recently involved in the redistricting, and he tried to redraw the line so he would have a seat to run for. Uh, we put a stop to that. I would like to see Ted Yoho run for Senate. That's um, mm. whose um, footsteps that um, Kat followed in, um, Ted Yoho. Mm. So hopefully he'll get back in the game in the near future. Near future. You never know. You never know what the future holds for some people. You never know. But, uh, yeah, there's, there's so much going on. And, uh, like I said, we've been bringing the candidates in one by one uh, so that my group can see them and they can get their name out there in the public. It's a good, also a good experience to learn how to address a group, a crowd. Uh, so when they do to go to larger groups and forums, you know, they're a little bit more prepared. So we become like the sounding board. But, Everyone keeps on saying, are you endorsing anyone? And no, I will not endorse someone going into a primary. My job is to put the candidates before you, get you educated about what they're about, and let you make an informed decision. If I turn around and I say, well, I'm endorsing XYZ, this person over here, and not that person, there's going to be resentment. Like, who are you to tell me who to vote for? No, 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 no. That's not what we do. Let me put the information out there in front of you. And you're more likely to show up and vote for the person that you want. And I'd rather have an honest vote. It may not be for the person I want, I choose, 
but I want you to become involved. I want you to get off your butt. I want you to go and vote. Nine times out of ten, they end up going with the same person that I have my in my heart. So I've, very rarely have I been wrong. Once in a while, I am. You know, I'm not perfect. I try to be, but I'm not perfect, you know. But, you know, and when I explain it to you, like I explained to you when you were asking me about, you know, doing endorsements, I said, well, that's what I don't want to do. I don't want you to have a negative influence. I'd rather put the person out there, listen to how they answer the questions, listen to what they have done and what they plan to do. And, you know, hold them to their record. Like, there was nothing to hold against Kat. I mean, she's she's, she's wonderful. But, yeah, you know, I was talking more like after the primaries, um, when it's, it's us going against a Democrat, in other words. Mm-hmm. Oh, that, that, yeah. that's... That's a that's a no brainer. That that's definitely a no brainer. That's that's because sure. you're still going to have some people that because their candidate didn't win or whatever they're going to hold grudges. Kind of remind me of um, the Republican convention that time when um, certain candidates didn't win and their the supporters didn't want to you know support Trump because their candidate. We have to unite at a certain point and support you know the chosen one. And I think we've had problems with that in the past. Yeah, I mean, and I'm talking about Ted Cruz. If anybody's wondering, his his supporters <laughs> at the convention mm-hmm. um, they they kind of balked, but eventually I think they came around and Ted Cruz as well. Mhm. Yeah. So you know, when it comes down to coming up for the presidential election, you know, you got to throw that red switch. You got to take that red pill. We can't yeah. let another Joe Biden back into office. I mean, look at the damage it's done already to us. How much damage that has been done already to us? You know, we've got this vaccine mandate uh, going on with a lot of people, a lot of different jobs. You know, it's starting to get tapered back. Uh, matter of fact, um, I remember reading an article. Ah, uh, jeez. I'm sure I have it here. <clears throat> well, whatever. Um, I just, I, I, well, I have it here somewhere. But there's an article written by a liberal, and they were really upset because uh, Joe Biden's vaccine mandate was not upheld by the court. And they went with a Trump executive order decision that said, no, this is more in line with the powers of the presidency. You're overstepping your bounds. And that didn't go over too well. So this guy was a big whiner and spent about three pages of tiny type pitching a bitch about it. But this is what gets me. No one is actually challenging the, the vaccine mandate on the fact that none of these vaccines have been officially approved. Not one of them. The FDA is not an approval agency. You know, it, it has not gotten the proper approval. So these are all considered experimental treatments. And so, you know, as an experimental treatment, by federal law, you cannot be forced, you cannot be compelled to submit to them. So every single person that is being forced to submit to these vaccine mandates is having their rights violated. 
they're allowing the government to deliberately violate your rights. No, it's an experiment. You cannot be forced. You have to be informed of all side effects. You have to be informed that you, it's, you, you can always reject this because it is experimental. <clears throat> but no one's approaching it on that direction. And I don't know why. I mean, this, this would be a no-brainer. It would either force yeah. them to finally get approval on one of these vaccines, which they're afraid to do because of all the side effects. Now, Japan just turned around and said, you must label these vaccines with the fact that it causes cardiac problems. It causes heart inflammation and myocarditis, whatever it is. <clears throat> Excuse me, I'm starting to lose my voice. But Japan said, you've got to put a warning about heart inflammation. <clears throat> and they have strict reporting requirements for the jab side effects. Hospitals must report in detail any adverse effects that occur within a certain time period, which is within the first 28 days of receiving the injection. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, well, they're saying that as of November 14th of last year, for every 1 million males who received the Moderna COVID-19 injection, 81.79 youths between the age of 10 and 19 developed heart problems, myocarditis and periocarditis, as did 46.76 men in their 20s. <clears throat> so for the Pfizer, 15.66 out of every 1 million 10 to 19-year-old males had the same uh, side effects, along with 13, <laughs> excuse me, 13.32 males in their 20s. So they're saying that there are definite side effects to these jabs. There are, and, and I'm conflicted about the Supreme Court split decision, you know, as far as um, uh, the private sector and those who work in the medical field. I mean, you're still violating their rights, if you want to ask me, because you are putting, forcing them to take something that's experimental. Most of the people taking it don't know what's in these vaccines. And the, the reliability, reliability of um, the, these vaccines are questionable because I went to a meeting last night at my American Legion, and there were at least five um, of the older members who had taken the vaccine months ago, and they caught COVID again. So how do you explain that? No, and none of it makes sense. And they have the hospitals, the medical facilities, that are low on staff. They can't get nurses and stuff in there, nurses, technicians, doctors. So what they're doing is is that if you got sent home because of you have COVID, you can come back on to work even though you have COVID. Wait, 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 wait. I'm not vaccinated. I don't have COVID. I take all the precautions. You won't let me come to work, but this person who does have COVID, who has been vaccinated, you're telling them to come back to work in the hospital facility and deal with patients who probably has a good possibility of catching my COVID. Does this make any sense to you? Not at all. And that's, there lies the fallacy of this whole scandemic. You know, it, vaccines, if they're true vaccines, they normally work in preventing you from catching whatever it is again. And if you do get attacked, it's very mild. But 
what I'm hearing from the people who had it before, took the vaccine, and caught COVID again. It's just as bad the second time as it was the first. Well, <clears throat> well Japan looks like it's they're, they're starting to do this right because Japan says no to vaccine <clears throat> mandates and no to vaccine discrimination. Um, so they well, you cannot Australia force... would wake up. Yeah. Oh, did you see Carrie Lake going after that one Australian interviewer? Oh, it was excellent. It was up on uh, Newsmax yesterday. It may be up on the Newsmax website, so check it out. Kerry Lake was being interviewed from by a reporter uh, remotely from Australia, and uh-huh. he was going after um, us Americans uh, about guns, about the vaccine mandates and everything else, and she let him have it between the eyes with both both barrels. God bless this woman. I really hope that she does get elected um, because... She said, wait a minute, you think it's, it's, it's okay to lock people up in quarantine camps? And, oh, if, you don't, if you're not vaccinated, uh, you get locked up in a quarantine camp? Do you think it's okay to lock people up behind barbed wire simply because they either have COVID or they refuse to get the vaccine? You would violate uh, the human rights that, that broadly? To that extent, and yeah. And then he made some comment like, well, what do you want to do, give us guns? And she goes, yes. She goes, one of the things that that is most fundamental is is our our freedom of speech to say what we want to say. But it's backed up with the fact that we have the guns to protect the First Amendment. So, yes, Australia would do a heck of a lot better if you still had your guns, if you had not melted them down. You wouldn't have half these problems you have now. Because people would have their free speech, freedom of movement, freedom, the freedom that you originally settled your country on. She was great. She was great. I'm not quoting her. I'm just basically paraphrasing what her intent was. So if anyone can check out, go, go on to the Newsmax yes, website. See if she's got that video up there. It might even be up on YouTube, unless YouTube censored her. But, yeah, um, took it down. I mean, oh, man. But it, I really do hope she, she wins her election. I mean, she would be great for her state. Ah, we need someone like her. We need her as president. That's what we need. <laughs> we need a Carrie Lake for president. I, I would endorse that. I, I would get behind that in a heartbeat. I mean, she's smart, she's beautiful, and she doesn't back down from anyone. And she had another, <laughs> they sent some little Bobby Soxers interviewer at one point, and she turned the interview backwards on to the girl. So when the girl asked the question, Carrie would requote the question but throw it back at her. And the girl just didn't yeah. know how to handle that. So, you know, when you answer a question with a question, it's like, well, what do you think? <laughs> you know? It was beautiful. Absolutely brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. So, oh, man. So we're waiting for our next guest to call in. Um... I don't know if you have his phone number, Curtis. Uh, no, I have the 3 o'clock uh, yeah. number. But, um, if you send it to me, I'll I had it in the email, and I don't have the email with me. Because you sent me an email well, with his phone me, number on it. Yeah. 
Well, let me look for it, and I'll give him a call. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I don't, I don't have, um, I didn't print out the email with the phone number on it. But holy cow! I mean, there's so much stuff here to talk about. I've got printouts and notes all over the place. Ah, jeez, I don't even know where to start. Oh, here's 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 something. I mean, this this will warm the hearts of a lot of people out there. Uh, my least favorite actor, Alec Baldwin. Okay. <laughs> He's in trouble. He's in trouble. Um, well, this was up on American Action News. Uh, Paul Crispo does a lot of great writing. Um, but, you know, he's got that lawsuit over that uh, the shooting on the low-budget Western Rust. Yeah. I mean, how, how stupid can you be that you don't realize if you cock a weapon and you allow the hammer to fall and not realize it's going to fall on the cap of the bullet and cause the bullet to fire from the gun and cause it to kill someone, just how dumb do you have to be? I mean, but anyway, um, one of the, the 13 Marines uh, that were killed in Afghanistan during the retreat, well, he donated money to, for the widow of the Marine that was killed. Um, what was the name of the, the widow? Uh, uh, oh, I don't see the name of the Marine. I know I saw it. Sorry. Here we go. Uh, Marine Lance Corporal Riley J. McCollum. Uh, he was the one of 13 that was killed uh, in the withdrawal uh, from the Kabul airport and the suicide bombing. And Baldwin gave, you know, a hefty $5,000 to the widow. Well, it turns out that um, she ended up going to the protest in D.C. on uh, January 6th. She was not part of the Capitol riot, but she went to listen to Trump speak, and she was, wanted to be part of the group there and see what was going on and you know see what he had to say and, and get her word out. So she showed up, and then she posted that she had been in D.C. with the photo. Next thing she knows... Alec Baldwin, on his radio show, was slandering her, calling her an insurrectionist because she attended the January 6, 2021 protest in D.C. Now, here she is. She's a grieving widow. Her husband was killed because of President Joe Biden. And she's now suing him for defamation, invasion of privacy, and intentional infliction of emotional distress. Now, according to the court documents, Baldwin's conduct was negligent and reckless. He should have known that making the allegations he did against the plaintiffs to his millions of followers would cause the plaintiffs harm. So when Alec Baldwin heard of McCollum's story, he reached out to the sister Royce, gave her 5000 to give to the brother's widow, uh, Janaea Creighton. He later called the check a tribute to the fallen soldier. However, on January 3rd this year, Rice shared a photo on Instagram that uh, Baldwin did not like. And it showed her at the Washington Monument on the day of the, quote, insurrection. And according to the lawsuit, Rice indeed was among the protesters who showed up for the march. However, while she was protesting the vote certification of Joe Biden that day, she did not take part in the rioting or any unlawful activity. 
So despite never having been charged with any crime, the documents show direct messages between Royce and Baldwin in which he labels her a rioter. And he said, quote, when I sent the money for your late brother out of real respect for his service to this country, I didn't know you were a January 6th rioter. Rice responded, protesting is perfectly illegal, perfectly legal in the country, and I've already had my sit down with the FBI. Thanks. Have a nice day. But since then, he reposted her photo on his Instagram uh, account, calling her an insurrectionist to his 2.4 million Instagram followers. And then after that, she and her family were flooded with hateful comments. And one of the most disturbing said, get raped and die, worthless C. Uh, your brother got what he deserved. And worse, rather than walk back his statements, Baldwin continued to label her an insurrectionist and rioter. So she's been having like death threats, uh, threats against uh, his newborn daughter, threats against the family. They're in fear for their lives because this man was so callous, so self-centered to think that uh, that whatever he posted was not going to have any ramifications. So it looks like Curtis is trying to bring our guest on, so hopefully he'll be able to do that. In the interim, it looks like he knocked my phone off. Ah, ah. Oh, well, never get a show that goes without any any kinks. Hmm. Anyway, and talk about worthless POS, pieces of you-know-what. <laughs> um. Neil Young is urging Spotify workers to quit Spotify. So, you know, you know these, these guys are working under difficult circumstances at Spotify because of the Joe Rogan versus Neil Young, you know, tiff. And uh, now Neil Young is telling people at Spotify, you know, you work for this guy, Eck, um, who's saying, all right, we'll still keep Joe Rogan experience on. We'll, we'll take Neil Young off. No problem. So he wants these people to walk out of Spotify and quit. I mean, they're getting paid a nice salary. They're doing a job they enjoy. They've got a boss, boss that they like. But uh, he's telling them, ah, because you work for Spotify, you got to quit. So, you know, cancel culture. Full, full, full swing here. Cancel culture, full swing. All right. All right. It looks like we have our guest in uh, running for Congress. Out of Florida District 7, we have a fellow paisano, Anthony Sabatini. Good afternoon, Anthony. How are you doing? Really great. Thanks for having me on. Oh, it is our pleasure. Our pleasure. Now i got to find all my notes for you. Ah, I'm sorry. I'm starting to lose my voice here. Now, um, I've got a question because no one really knows who you are you know, for the rest of the nation. Um, tell us about yourself and what makes you qualified to run. And this is not a background noise. Oh, it should be better now. Uh, well, yeah, so I'm running for U.S. Congress in District 7, Central Florida. It's uh, one of the top battleground districts in the country. We're trying to win back from the Democrats to win the House back, and I'm a current state representative in the area. Now I have the most conservative voting record in the state of Florida on pretty much every issue from American Conservative Union. I got about 99% lifetime score there, Club for Growth, 
highest score in the state of Florida and just been fighting against COVID tyranny and just left wokeism for about four years now in the state house. So definitely been on the front lines fighting for America first and just against the craziness that's happening in our country and think I need to take that fight to Congress now and help flip the seat from the Democrats. Oh, my fingers are crossed. We need another seat taken away from them, that's for sure. Now, before you came on, I was talking about cancel culture. And on your website, you have down where you're looking to crack down on big tech censorship. Uh, What's your plan to do that? Because you you have someone like Neil Young saying, Spotify, yank my, my music or yank Joe Rogan. So that didn't work. So now he's telling the employees at Spotify, quit, walk out. You know, go ahead, lose your job because I have a principle that I want you to stand on. This this is getting out of hand. Yeah, it is getting out of hand. I think, well, I think there's some really important things Congress needs to do legally to break up big tech. I think we need to change our antitrust laws uh, to allow for an antitrust action to be taken against these big tech companies. They're not just engaging in horrible political censorship and election interference, but they're also just hemorrhaging our economy they're cannibalizing our economy they're destroying small business and really making it hard to compete um, with anybody other than these giant conglomerates and they're, they're almost like monopoly type industries in their fields so i'm for actually breaking up big tech but also radically altering section section 230 of the u.s code to make it that they can't engage in any kind of political discrimination any longer we hope so. We really hope so because, you know, a lot of times I find myself having stuff pulled down because of them. Oh, no, you're, you're giving misinformation. No, wait a minute. Um, if, if you're just commenting on something and you say something like, well, I believe ivermectin works, I'm b- giving out misinformation, so whatever I say has to be censored. Uh, well, you know, look at the science. We've got science to back it up. No, 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 the science isn't real. That's fake. That's fake. Why? Because your Facebook, because your Twitter, you know better. Your Instagram, you know better than what the scientists do. This is this is really getting out of hand. Absolutely, it is. It's uh, you know at this point it, they're really declared war on our country and are trying to basically do a coup where they control all information and therefore all discussion of important political topics in the country, and we just can't let that stand. So we need to take a sort of role and stop that, I think. Well, you're also finding out that Facebook had a large role um, in influencing the election because they controlled the platform. So how do we prevent a corporation from controlling our elections? Well, I think you have to engage in breaking them up. I don't think they. I think they're uh, at too big of a window. They have too much of an influence over all political discourse in the country, and so you can't allow them to make these master decisions about what information is allowed to be dispensed and which one isn't. So you need to make it illegal for them to censor folks. It's really quite. That's it's literally that simple. Well, let's hope it works. Let's really hope it works. We had Kat Kamak on just a little while ago, and we were talking about the illegal immigration. And this is so out of hand. We have people coming. Uh, She said one of the most uh, uh, stopped uh, illegal crossings are from Romania. So this isn't just people coming from Central America or Mexico. They're coming from all over the world because we've left the border wide open. 
So we're getting Chinese, Romanian, Arab terrorists. We have no idea who's crossing the border. So what's your plan to help stop and stem this? Well, I think it's very simple. You have to build a wall. Uh, we still have to do that. You have to use e-verify to stop illegal immigrants from being able to obtain jobs in the United States. And you need to engage in mass deportation. So mass deportation, e-verify, and building the wall are really the key to stop illegal immigration. But I will say additionally, I think we need an immigration moratorium. I don't even think our immigration system as it stands today benefits our middle and working classes in the United States. So we need to change the uh, drastically change the immigration system to make it that um, we're cutting back on the cheap labor pouring in that's making it, uh, that's drawing wages down for middle class and, and working class people, but instead making rich, hegemonic global corporations richer, and that's a problem. Well, you know, we have the um, U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services. They changed their mission statement uh, just yesterday. And the old one was saying that uh, it was administering the nation's lawful immigration system, safeguarding its integrity and promise by efficiency and fairly adjudicating requests for immigration. I can't talk today. Immigration benefits while protecting Americans, securing the homeland and honoring our values. They changed it from that to uphold Americans' promise as a nation of welcome and possibility with fairness, integrity, and respect for all we serve. I think herein lies the main problem. If we have a government that won't even recognize an illegal immigrant, how are we going to enforce our immigration laws? Uh, well, if you're deporting illegal immigrants and passing you verified to the point where they can't work here, then we're not going to have an issue. I don't think it's I don't think it's really more complex than that. Um, deport the ones that are here, make you verified, mandatory to work, then the rest will self-deport, and that'll be it. Anthony, well, we also go ahead, go ahead Amy. Well, I was going to say well, was... we also have these these these. Um... Uh, what, what do they call it? These, gov- these a- nonprofit agencies like Catholic Charities that are getting money from our government to help facilitate housing and whatever else for these illegal immigrants. So we have these other charities, these non-government agencies that are getting government funds. Would you then be there for cutting off any government funds to agencies such like this? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well... Uh, those charities can be dealt with severely, too. I mean, the federal government, and once we take control, we can make it that these guys aren't allowed to advocate for those things. I think that would be totally fine, cutting off their funding. So, yeah, that's that's one other piece of the problem for sure. Now, well, as, ahead, we know, as we know, there's an outbreak of um, crime and violence and lawlessness in a lot of our urban cities. Um and it's because of uh, a lack of support for um, law enforcement, in, in some cases by those um, progressives and liberals, hardcore liberals. It's a hostility towards law enforcement. Do you see a rise in crime and violence in cities like Orlando, um, Daytona, maybe Tampa? And if so, um, what would you do about it? Yeah, there is a rise of crime, and we need to make sure we're supporting police and cracking down on it. It's not happening right now because 
political correctness and, and salt on crime police practices. We need to make sure that we're really punishing people um, who are breaking uh, the law. We need to go back to a broken window theory of policing like they did in New York City. So that's very simple, simple issue. Well, that's a, I remember that. I was one of the ones there doing that job. So, yeah, it, it worked. Because if you took the guy that was littering on the sidewalk, the drug dealer was down on the corner looking to see what you were going to do. And if you didn't react, then, hey, the cop's not really paying much attention, so I can deal off this corner because they won't even pay attention to me. But if you do the broken window, you take care of that person that's littering, the drug dealer is going to go to a different corner. He won't be on your post. Then the next cop's going to have to chase him, and the next cop goes to chase them. Then, you know, it does work. We chase them out of the command. But it does, and people don't realize that. You pay attention to little things, and it adds up to helping the big things. Yeah, and anyway, a former um, New York um, police officer. She's a former law enforcement officer. Uh, now, um, you talk about uh, term limits. And we've got the Convention of States that's been moving through. And I think we now have, what, 17 states that have now passed uh, the Convention of States. Um, should it hit the House, would you be uh, endorsing a Convention of States? Yeah, I've already endorsed the Convention of States, and Florida has already signed on to it. We're one of the 17 states that has, so we're waiting on other states to join along. Now, a lot of people think it's going to be a runaway con-con. Uh, it was a constitutional convention. And a matter of fact, before Phyllis Shafley uh, passed away, we had this conversation. So as I understand it, Mark Meckler uh, did it the same way that uh, a friend of mine had done it, where it's narrowly defined. You can only bring up certain items onto the floor that were approved through the individual states, you know, uh, uh, convention of states, legislation or a referendum, however they passed it. So you have to stay within that boundary. So do you see this becoming a runaway, or do you still see it staying true to its original intent and form? Yeah, no, I don't see I don't think there's any merit to the runaway convention idea that I hear about. Uh, I think uh, you just convene it for a particular purpose and then let it roll. Not, not a big issue. I think it's a meritless argument that it's going to be a runaway convention. Now, another thing you support is the Second Amendment, and we're constantly seeing attacks on the Second Amendment. Um, Beto O'Rourke just did a, a 180 saying, oh, no, no, we're not going to take away your AR-15 you know, your, your AR or whatever. But when he was running for president, no, no, we're going to take away all your guns. You, know, you don't need them. People waffle on the Second Amendment because I don't think a lot of people understand you know, what is a firearm, and they all call them weapons of war. Well, I'm sorry, uh, my little 38 could be considered a weapon of war because if you fire it at your enemy, it's a weapon of war. Any, any firearm can be considered a weapon of war if, they def- if we allow them to define it this way. So how would you help to protect and preserve the Second Amendment to allow us to carry whatever, whatever we choose? And, oh, yes, by the way, Joe Biden, uh, the Revolutionary War, the cannons were supplied by private citizens that bought them. So anyway, uh, Anthony, what would you say? Well, I think, uh, you know, obviously you've got to get Supreme Court justices that are going to uphold the Second Amendment in a real way. You, you have rhinos 
rhinos uh, in, in the White House who are putting people like John Roberts on the court, then you're never going to have a Second Amendment. So as long as we're putting strong constitutionalists on there, much stronger than the majority of the ones we have on there, I think most of them are a complete joke except for Clarence Thomas. Um, if you do that, then you'll finally have the Second Amendment restored in this country, and it'll be understood as an individual right that applies in more circumstances than in, in your home, which is all what D.C. Heller says. You can have guns basically in your home. Uh, which is just ludicrous that we have we don't have stronger laws on to protect the Second Amendment by now, or uh, strong case law that is. So, long story short, um, it's it's really a court issue, and states need to be doing everything they can. In the meantime, I'm a state legislator in Florida, and I push for constitutional carry every single year. And it's Rhino Republicans that are killing it right now. I have the bill filed. The governor, Governor of Florida, DeSantis says he wants to sign the bill. But the rhinos in the legislature won't let uh, they won't let it be debated in a hearing. So you just you got to get stronger conservatives involved. And you got to get stronger judges. Well, here in South Carolina, back in October, uh, Henry McMaster signed into law the legislation for open carry. We haven't gotten to the point of constitutional carry, but we're allowed now open carry. Uh, which I showed up my Tea Party meeting with it strapped to my side, and everyone's looking at me like, what? As of yesterday, he signed the legislation. No one can bother me. Um, but that's what we need to do. We need strong state legislatures and governors to help enact this stuff. Um, they go after our Second Amendment rights. They use any and every trick in the book. At one point, they were saying um, the lead in the bullet is poisonous, so you can't have bullets with lead in it. Um, they say, oh, uh, you can't have large capacity uh, magazines. Um, no, well, how do you have a, a weapon that carries 15 rounds and you're only allowed to put six in there? The bad guy doesn't care how many rounds are in the magazine, but you, the legal citizen, have to apply the law. Uh, they now have also the red, red flag laws. They used them against uh, veterans, and now they're using them against average citizens. So if you're on, say, any psychiatric medicine like Paxil to keep you calm, you're not allowed to have a firearm. And now the latest trick they're doing is they're compiling a registry because when you go in to purchase a firearm, you have to do the background check. You have to fill out that form. I think it's, what, 4227, I think, is the name, the number of the form. I could be wrong. Whenever you buy a firearm, you have to fill out one of these forms. Well, when that gun shop closes, and with COVID, a lot of them closed because they didn't have business, they have to send all these forms to the ATF. So I think they said they have like about 95 million of these forms. So they basically know who owns a gun throughout the United States. But isn't it against the law for the government to compile a database of gun ownership? Yeah, no, it should be illegal. It should be shut down immediately. It should not be uh, supported or funded. I'd be voting to defund that immediately when I'm in Congress. And then have all these forms destroyed because, you know, once they're in the system, they never get out, which means that if they're scanned into a database, that database needs to be destroyed, and then the actual forms need to be destroyed. Wouldn't you say that, too? Absolutely, yeah. To destroy it, and get rid of it, and just go back to just allowing people to exercise their rights without being surveilled, 100%. Now, um, another thing you have on your website, which I loved, is that uh, back in the 1970s, they passed Title IX to help women and girls to have an equal fair chance uh, 
in their sport because the sports mostly was being funded for the men. You know, you'd have the men's football, men's basketball, but they never mm-hmm. really totally funded stuff for girls. I mean, there's a lot of mm-hmm. athletic girls out there that can compete in track and volleyball and basketball and softball, and they could end up going and playing pro later on and have a nice career. But now you throw into this mix the transgender, the male that wants mm-hmm. to play as a female, and that's in violation of Title IX, isn't that? Yeah, I think it is a violation of Title IX. I think it's uh, insulting uh, to the intelligence of anybody to argue otherwise. But, you know, this is a lawless regime that doesn't care about the meaning of words, doesn't care about the meaning of laws. It's going to do whatever it can to push its woke ideology and uh, try to shame and destroy the lifestyles and traditional values of the majority of the country, which they despise. So it's not not surprising at all. Anthony. Well, it's also denying denying the biological makeup, the difference that there is a biological difference between boys and girls. I mean, you can surgically alter yourself how many times you want, but all said and done, a thousand years from now, they dig up your body, they run the DNA, and it's going to say male or female. You know, you're you're developed differently. Once your testosterone starts hitting, your your strength, your speed, and just your abilities, your height is extremely different and more powerful than a female. It's a simple biological fact. So you have this swimmer on this college team of breaking all the records, but I'm sorry, all said and done, you're a man. Mm-hmm. Yep, I agree, 100%. Very simple issue, but they're, they, they don't care. They're impervious to facts and argument. It's about power, and it's about st- striking down, crushing and destroying traditional ways of viewing the world and living life. People just don't, they don't, they're not interested in having uh, uh, any kind of conception of gender or family values in America today. It's what the, the project is to, of the left is to destroy all of the belief systems of the average American. And that's, that's what they're doing. So once again, not very surprising. Oh, yeah. no. Heaven forbid you use the wrong, the wrong pronoun on them. And instead of saying, they, him, it, whatever, you know, puppy dog, uh, you can be arrested or you can be fined or you can be sued because you used the wrong pronoun. And I'm sorry, I couldn't read your mind. You look like a boy. You act like a boy. I'm thinking you're a he. Uh, unless you turn around and you have like a little nameplate saying, my name is the, I'm not going to know. But No, but you cancel culture. Here we go again. Cancel culture. Go ahead, Curtis. And you're going to be ready to call Carol in a second, right? Right. Oh, I just want to say I got a chance to um, hear you speak in Daytona a couple of months ago. And also present there was another another candidate, Colonel Calvin Wimbish. And he was on a radio show, I believe, last week. And we asked him once he got in Congress, would he become a member of the Freedom Caucus? And I was going to ask you the same thing. Were you interested in becoming 100%. a member of the Freedom Okay, and yeah, I'm going to call our next guest. Yep, I'll be there. Day one, I'll be a member of the Freedom Caucus. That's why I'm uh, <laughs> endorsed by four uh, current Freedom Caucus members, including uh, Senator Rand Paul, but in the House, four different uh, Freedom Caucus members. Oh, nice. Absolutely nice. Absolutely nice. Wonderful. Um, I did have another question for you before you, you left, and now I just went right out of my mind. Holy cow. <laughs> I'm losing my brain today. I'm sorry. 
I had last-minute changes in our lineup, so I was scrambling today to get everyone in that I wanted to get in. But uh, I know there's going to be another question I wanted to ask. Oh, these vaccine mandates. We were discussing this earlier. Now, these are experimental drugs. According to the federal law, you cannot force someone to submit to an experimental drug. They have not been officially approved and recognized as a vaccine. And yet we see nationwide these vaccine mandates. And I'm just wondering what can be done to enforce the federal law and strengthen it to say, wait a minute, this is not approved. It's an experiment, and by law, you must warn me of all the side effects, and I have the right of refusal, and you can't punish me. But you're seeing people be punished because they refuse the vaccine mandates, losing their job, their income. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, uh, it's out of control. We have to defund these insane agencies like the CDC and uh, anything related to Fauci. Fauci should be terminated on day one of the next Congress, defunded. His salary put to zero. I think he should be investigated and potentially be hit with criminal charges, which I'm in support of. But this is what needs to get done. You know, the most immediate thing before us right now is ending the COVID tyranny in our country and getting us back to where we were in January 2020. Um, this is just so important. All right. Well, people can find you at Sabatini, your last name, S-A-B-A-T-I-N-I, SabatiniForCongress.com, correct? That's right. S-A-B-A-T-I-N-I. Anthony Sabatini for Congress. SabatiniforCongress.com. Well, thank you very much, and good luck on your race, and God bless you, sir. Thank you for having me on. God bless. Talk to you soon. Take care. Check it out, SabatiniforCongress.com. And now we got returning to our show, one of our favorite people, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Good afternoon, Dr. Carol. How are you today? Fine, thank you. Good afternoon to you. I mean, talk about walking into a wacky world. Holy cow, the last time you were here, you know, we didn't have anything as crazy that's going on as in today. So I started to pile through because I got the, uh, Dylan sent me the message just like about an hour before coming on air that you were going to be coming on. So I had to scramble last minute. And I said, well, this can't be too hard, Anne. There's so much, so much right material. And um, God bless my mom. She's 89, and I swear she's right of me sometimes. (laughs) But she and I were discussing this. The the change in Joe Biden from when he was starting to run for president to today is so marked. How can it not be deemed elder abuse that this man remains in office? (laughs) Yes, absolutely. That's a good point. Actually, when he was running for office, uh, I started even back then talking about how he has uh, encroaching dementia. And the difference is that it has been encroaching more and more, you know, over the past year. And now you don't have to be a psychiatrist to to see it. And it's very unfortunate, especially since the news just, uh, the the breaking news is that it looks like Putin is going to invade Ukraine. Um, and that is a very scary proposition because we really don't have a president who knows how to protect us. No, he doesn't. A perfect example is our southern border. He refuses yes. to protect the southern border. So how how is he going to protect Ukraine 
you know, yeah. how is he going to protect NATO or Europe? But he's throwing all these troops over there. Now, the troops that would have been in Afghanistan protecting our interests there, and we had interests there, to right. over to outside of Ukraine, where we really have no interest over there. R- right, and that's right. Now, someone was talking about this because he did have brain surgery twice. And even at, at that point when he was a senator, there was a marked difference in his behavior back then. And it just seems to be acerbated with the pressure of this office. Well, he had um, he had brain aneurysms, and um, actually they operated on him for one. As they were preparing and operating on him for one, they found a second one. So, uh, and he's currently on medication for um, an arrhythmia, a heart arrhythmia, and so you know he's really. Um, He's really a, a ticking time bomb, and just in terms—I of, I mean, besides the dementia, just in terms of his health, um, that kind of arrhythmia can strike in, in a heartbeat, so to speak. <laughs> and it, really, it can, you, know. you know, and and really, I I think—I mean, I haven't examined him, but I am a forensic psychiatrist, and I do this work all the time. Um, I've had many cases where I had to determine whether the person was competent or not. Uh, You know, for example, kids arguing over their parents' will. And so I know the signs to look for. And, um, and, you know, it seems like what he, so there are all different kinds of dementia. I mean, there's Alzheimer's and there's vascular dementia and there's Lewy body dementia. And it seems like the most likely is uh, vascular dementia, where he's having uh, TIAs, transient ischemic attacks, meaning um, periods, brief periods, where the blood isn't getting uh, to all of his brain, isn't perfusing his brain sufficiently. And so he gets these blank moments. And you know how his eyes look like there's nobody home? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he he scrambles for words, and he'll mix things up, mix people up, mix locations up, mix dates up. Uh, couldn't remember the words of what was it, the Constitution, uh, lines that just about everyone we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal; they're endowed by the Creator. And he would go, and you know the words, you you know, because he got embarrassed. But you uh-huh. see this constantly where. They're covering for him. He makes these flubbing mistakes that are so blaringly obvious, and yet no one wants to admit, we've got a problem here, Houston. Yes, that is one of the things um, that I have found the most frustrating because, first of all, there are polls, many polls have been done where um, America, you know, uh, much of America, the majority of America realizes that he is not fit, and yet... Uh, and yet Congress is not acting to um, to do anything about it, except for just recently, really, um, when a former uh, White House physician um, got together, uh, uh, Dr. Ronnie Jackson got together Jackson, yep. 30, 37 Republican law, lawmakers. Um, he got them to sign a letter demanding that he submit to a cognitive test. And clearly, if he did do that, if Biden did do that, um, it would be obvious, you know, there would be proof. I mean, you know what I mean? Like, we we can all say, I can tell you some of the things 
that he's done uh, symptoms and so on, his word salad, his decreased memory, his confabulation, uh, his being volatile to people. You know, he reacts in a very emotionally volatile way if he feels um, when he gets defensive. He's disoriented. He can't find his way off the stage. Um, he's inappropriate. And the worst problem is that he doesn't have abstract thinking, which is the kind of thinking like how you can keep uh, balls juggled in the air or how in a game of chess you can see many moves ahead, like if you do this, then the person will do this, and then you'll do this. I mean, he doesn't have that kind of thinking where he can hold all these things in his mind at the same time. We saw that in Afghanistan. You know, he was holed up in his uh, room in, in Delaware, with television sets on and presumably speaking to people on the phone, but it was, he was like, he was like scared, like a little boy, you know, going into his, going into his room, hiding under the covers. And now, um, now that uh, Russia is getting closer and closer to invading Ukraine, um, it's the same problem. He can't see, you know, all the, he can't hold all the pieces of what that means in his head at the same time. You know, there's also someone pointed out the way he walks, and I noticed this. You know, he no longer walks upright. And he kind of like has this funny stance, like the upper body is almost yeah. frozen. This is like another symbol that something is definitely wrong here. Yes, and, you know, he had a, a medical, um, he supposedly had a physical, I don't know, a month ago or so, and... um there was this report. Of course, they didn't say that they did a mental competency test. Now, either they did and he failed, or they didn't because they were afraid to touch that. But he did write that his doctor did write something about um, his his leg, his walk, and he attributed it to the fact that he had fallen. You know that time that they blamed on the dog. Um, yeah, but that could well be part of dementia. You know, you can get these um, problems with your gait. Yeah, my grandfather had that. He ended up with a shuffling walk, uh, but he he did have dementia, and uh, he. I still remember him just before he passed away, curled up in the fetal position, uh, because this this is a horrible thing. He's going to be going through a really horrible, horrible time. And the stress of being president of the United States is only advancing it rather rapidly, isn't it? That, that, that stress yes. alone. Yes, yes. I mean, you know, here's the deal. Um, I mean, first of all, just in general, yes, the, the, the stress on the president of the United States, any president, is huge. Um, but when he uh, surrendered to the Taliban, that was like a red, red flag. Uh, being waved to all the major leaders of the world who are our enemies, you know, from Iran to China um, to Russia. Uh, so um, so they, they got the, the message that this man doesn't really know what he's doing. There is something wrong here. He isn't thinking straight. Um, this would be a great time to do whatever it is that we want to do um, and against the United States. And so now we're seeing it. You know, they're they're all getting more um, uh, difficult. I mean, of course, Putin is the first, but of course, you know, we know China is um, is getting more rambunctious. You know, they're more daring. Um, Iran uh, is being difficult uh, as far as I mean, uh, Biden wants to 
renegotiate the deal. Well, I mean, which is a big mistake. Any deal with Iran would be a disaster because they they just are lying. Um, and then, of course, North Korea trying out more, trying out nuclear weapons more than they did before. I mean, so it's all over the place. I mean, it's like he's, there are enemies all around us, you know, metaphorically all around us. Um, and that is that is terrifying. And and Biden is, you know, like holding up in his holding up in his, um, you know, he well. Recently, he went out for ice cream when there was something going on with Putin. I mean, he's just you – know, so why people uh, – you, you know, we need the 25th Amendment. We need it fast. Of course, then Kamala being president is even more uh, uh, mm. disaster or, or – I mean, I would think that they would do something more if it, if it turned out, you know, like let's say um, Biden had a stroke or something um, and it was Kamala uh, before they – invoke the 25th Amendment. You know, of course, that would be perhaps even a worse disaster, but I think they would do something to uh, to not keep her in that position long because because it's more, for some people are more able to recognize that she is, or, or want more to recognize that she is um, totally incapable of being president. Yeah, as I call her, Queen Camilla Mella. <laughs> <laughs> oh geez, and then right behind that nasty Pelosi. Oh wow, what a what a team yeah. we got! What a team! Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> but, but you know, this administration sends up so many signals to our enemies that something's not right here in Denmark. Uh, you have Pete Buttigieg, who's supposed to be transportation secretary, and what does he do? He takes time off for maternity leave. Right yes. smack in the middle of a transportation crisis. And instead of coming back to deal with the still a transportation crisis ongoing, because I went to get my mom some cough drops yesterday and the shelf was empty, uh, Pete, mm-hmm. get yourself into your office and do your... No, instead he's being heralded on all these wonderful magazines on the front page because he's openly gay. Now, what does yeah. that have to do with getting cough drops into my drugstore? I I want to go to the store, buy my eggs and my milk and whatever else I need, and I want the stuff on the shelf. I don't care what gender you are. Just do your job. But they see this. And now they have this new Department of Energy hire that is supposed to be in charge of the nuclear waste, the nuclear energy. I don't know what you call this person. Sam Britton, have you heard about this guy? No, no, I haven't. Um, well, he dresses as a female but has a mustache, uh, is into kinks, is absolutely into having sex with animals or whatever it is. And he said, well, he goes in front of Congress in his stilettos simply to let them know he can wear them. This person is into, this, this person is into all these weird, weird sexual things but they put him in charge of our nuclear energy. Oh, yeah, he does have a degree from MIT, but what is the signal to China and to Russia? You've got two strong men there with Xi and with Putin, and they see us centering on the LBGT community as being far more important than World War III or getting food to the table of the American people. Yes, yes. It's more important to be woke than... uh, to be to do your job, um, 
I, you know, it's it's the group of people, the puppeteers, who are pulling by the strings, who from the BLM group to um, the trans group and to all the you know various uh, sexual um, <laughs> opportunities group. I don't know what to call it. Um, you know, it, it, it's, it's, it, I mean, it, it would, this would be a comedy. If somebody made this as a movie, you know, it would be a comedy. It would be, it actually wouldn't, wouldn't uh, be made into a movie because the producers would realize that people wouldn't believe it. You know, they would, they, they would think this was ridiculous. It, you know, it's too, this would never happen. Um, and it's very, it's, it's, you know, there are, it's the same way, same people who are getting these kinds of things into our schools. And um, I'm working on, on the elementary school kids um, to, to not to recognize that the sex they were born with um, is not cool and to be some other, you know, trans or non-binary or whatever. Um, and, and really it's destroying kids, especially when they're young because they don't, they don't understand sex to begin with. And, um, and you know, and then the the kids who with parents uh, decide who want to be cool and who think and who take them to doctors for hormones and surgery and all of this. I mean, there, there are statistics that show that kids who who do this and then realize later, oh well, wait a minute, I really wanted to be a boy after all, or I really wanted to be a girl after all. You know, I, now I'm stuck in this other body. Um, they kill themselves. Yeah, a high rate of suicide, very high rate. There's a case of, in Florida, a young 13-year-old girl tried to hang herself twice in school because her guidance counselor convinced her that first that she was a lesbian and then, oh, no, you're a transgender. And then when she was teased and ridiculed and everything else, she decided the only way out was suicide. And the parents weren't even told until well after. So they are now suing the school district and the guidance counselor, because uh, they pulled the girl out, they got her the help they needed, because when she committed suicide the second time, they took her to the hospital, and her parents weren't even it, weren't allowed to go with her. So it's, there she was, all by herself, dealing with hmm. this. So finally the parents were able to intervene. So that's going to be a show two weeks from now that we're going to be doing on, on that. Uh, it's, it, it, what they're doing to the kids where parents are not being told that the kids are told how to go about gender reassignment. Uh, and the parents and, have and no knowledge. Times, and it's really sexual abuse by the, by the teachers, whether they actually touch the children or not. It is a kind of sexual abuse to convince them of all these things that aren't true. There was another case, I think we're talking about a different case, but I know there have been a number of them coming in the news lately. Um, a case of a girl where the teacher taught her, told her that she was, oh, they put her in some group um, where they try to convince all of them that they're a different sex. Um, but anyway, the teacher was got her to bind her breasts. Do you know about that one? And, and then, um, then she came home again because there, the school was closed for a while again. And when the school was closed, then she went back to being a girl. She didn't really want to um, be transsexual or a boy or whatever. So the mother Dr. that now is doing the school too. Wow. Yep. Wow. I, I see the I see the effect that is having on children, and it's a powerful effect. But I see it also on adults. Earlier in the chat room, I was 
texting about um, an adult friend of mine who was so afraid of COVID, she didn't come out of her house for a year. Now, that's, that's, that's too much of a power the government has to and, um, affect people like that. Yeah. And w- what do you see as the danger of that, that people um, are so susceptible to government that they believe everything to a T and, and it impacts them to the point they will not even leave their house? Yes. Um, you know, we've been hearing Fauci and the CDC and Biden and all these people for two years now, and um, it really has caused people to be frightened. Um, you know, all the deaths, I mean, the, it was all the sensationalism um, in the media, you know, all the, the, the death counts, you know, the statistics all the time and so on. Um, and I think that this is really having... I mean, there are cases like what you just described, which actually um, agoraphobia is being afraid. Um, it's literally a fear of the marketplace, but it means being afraid of being um, in crowds and losing control. But besides those kinds of cases, which are kind of extreme, I think a lot of America is, um, you know, normal people are, um, have changed and are are afraid to come out of their house, not to that extreme measure, but, like, for example, fewer people are going to movie theaters, even though the movie theaters are open. And fewer people are um, just doing different activities because this fear, uh, even though the cases are going down now and so on, but this fear has been drummed into us for so long um, that people, you know, think, two and three and four times, like, do I really want to go to the movies or do I really want to go to an indoor restaurant? Or, and that is doing uh, real damage to not only psychologically, but real damage to our economy. Yeah, and absolute damage. But you have open states like mine, South Carolina, Florida, that are flourishing. Uh, I can go over four blocks away. I've got my local restaurant bar. <laughs> no problem, no mask. You know, but They've caused a mass hysteria. They've actually forced us into a herd mentality. And with controlling the media, they control the message. You have to listen. Mitch McConnell just the other day called January 6th a violent insurrection. Yes. Uh, Hello. Yes. It's it's gotten so bad that now the rhinos are going, well, this is what's selling, so let me keep on repeating the line. You know, it's another form of, your population control. If you can control what the population does, you can control the way they think, and you can control the way they vote. They vote the way you want them to do. You've got yourself a political career for the rest of your life, Nancy Pelosi. Yes, yes. Well, Nancy Pelosi, it can't just be um, votes. I mean, she has to know where a lot of bones are buried. I can't believe that she is still empowered to the extent that she is for so many years um, when she keeps making so many mistakes, you know, and and she obviously they keep her because um, because people are afraid to go against her because she knows where the bones are buried. Well, now here comes up another question: mental capacity. Now she is a, she's a very sharp cookie, but she does have a tendency to slip if you notice every now and then. And someone made a crack about her always having a glass in hand, if you know what I mean. Um, <laughs> 
But she did it the other day, and she was being questioned by a member of the press, and she wasn't too thrilled about the vein of the questioning because they asked her about January 6th and why she didn't call forth, you know, assistance to the Capitol Police. Why didn't she, you know, do more uh, to protect the Capitol and prevent, you know, the, the, uh, the rioting? And she was, right. well, I have no control over them. But that's an absolute lie. She does. She controls yes. the sergeants of arms, and through them, she controls the Capitol Police. She could have called in the National Guard, but she blatantly yes. lied and then stormed off in the middle of the questioning. So th- you see her slip. She sees how it works for Biden. <laughs> She's taking a lesson from him. Um, you know, I think also, talk about uh, uh, dementia or, or TIAs. You know, there are times, I don't know about dementia, because she hasn't been talking that much, or she hasn't been on television talking that much, you know, recently, but, uh, and maybe there's a reason for that, but but I have seen her uh, go into these deer in the headlights kind of um, look, where it does seem like a transient ischemic attack, like the blood suddenly didn't get to all of her brain. and and there was, did, have you ever noticed sometimes um, her 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 mouth droops? Yes, yes, absolutely. So so it does seem like she's having little strokes. Yeah. Now I suffered from a TAI, so I I know what I had to go through. Thankfully, I wasn't that bad, and it took me about six months before I stopped feeling like I was walking sideways. Uh, so, you know, I, I look for these little things. So I'm saying, well, something's going on here, especially with the way her face when she does talk. She comes like a little lopsided, a little droopy. Yeah. And, uh, yes. and then there are the ways she says certain words. They just don't come out correctly. Uh, yes, that's absolutely. something else I notice. So, you know, we see all these things going on with this administration, and the rest of the world is laughing at us. So you wonder why we're being threatened by all of our enemies, North Korea, <laughs> Iran, China, you know, Russia, the cartel coming across the border, an uncontrolled border. And yet we've got the truckers that they're not going to allow over the northern border because they're not vaccinated. But we'll let everyone else in the southern border that aren't vaccinated. That doesn't matter. The southern border, that, that's okay, but not the northern border for the truckers bringing goods and services. Where's the logic uh-huh. in this one? Do you see any? <laughs> no, no, I don't. Um, except that I, I know that when one is trying to understand things, uh, the place to look the most is at Obama. Um, you know, really, he, I think he is the biggest power behind Biden and trying to, and getting what he wants done. Um, and his agenda really is very destructive to America. Yeah, and they're saying, I'm hearing Obama as well as Susan Rice, the two puppeteers. And they work uh-huh. well hand in hand, so it could be a good <laughs> tag team. It's like, all right, mm-hmm. it's your turn to pull the strings today. No, no, it's, it's my <laughs> turn. <laughs> you know, you, you wonder who's pulling the strings because it's the same strings and basically the same path. They did this when he was in the White House, and I'm sure they're doing it right now. And what's with him always turning around to Camilla saying, uh, President Harris? Mm, yes. Well, because 
maybe part of him wishes that she was already so he can get out of there. You know, but you were talking about um, elder abuse. One of the things that bothers me is, is his wife. Um, how she could put her own love of being first lady above taking care of her husband and even even in regard to not just his health, of course, but even in regard to not letting him embarrass himself, I mean, that is awful. Yes, completely awful. And she has to lead him off the podium every single time. He has to take him yes. by the hand like a little child. Now, this is something we noticed with my grandfather when he started going down. He began to revert back to his childhood. So mm-hmm. I'm also wondering if this. we're also seeing this with uh, President Biden. He's reverting also, hence constantly going out for the ice cream. Let's award the little boy with an ice cream and he'll just behave. (laughs) We'll try to get him not to whisper into the microphone because that's kind of really creepy. But give him an ice cream so he knows he did a good job. Yes, yes, exactly. Should I have been a shrink? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it's just really, this is, you know, we're really, uh, I mean, unless Putin changes his mind, we're really heading towards towards very scary times. And, and, and you know, not where, I mean, if, if we had a president, uh, and a vice, it would be nice if we had a vice president with brains, too, they could kind of talk to each other. But um, uh, if there were people, you know, if there were smarter people, uh, who could talk to Biden and get, get him to do the right thing or help him to figure things out. But but it really, it, it seems like a very empty forest, you know? Yeah, yeah. You know, you, you had mentioned about being able to think in chess moves, and I was conversing with someone online the other day, and I'm looking at the map of Europe as we're talking about Ukraine, and I'm going, I get it. I know what Putin wants. Because once he comes through Ukraine and he obtains Ukraine, it gives him direct access to the three Baltic states, Lithuania, Latvia, and Estonia. And what he wants, the pearl of it all, is Latvia's port of Riga, because that was a heavy Russian submarine port. He wants that port Mm. back. And that way he can control the access now to Scandinavia. I mean, it is a pivotal jumping point at that point. But, Dr. Carroll, it has been a pleasure speaking with you. You're always welcome back. I wanted to get into the truckers, but I guess next time we'll talk to you about the truckers and that protest that's going from Canada here to the United States and how Biden is going to be hiding in the basement again when they hit D.C. (laughs) (laughs) But people can find you at Dr. Carroll with an E at the end of Carol, C-A-R-O-L-E, D-R-C-A-R-O-L-E dot com, correct? Yes, and also terroristtherapist.com and uh, expertwitnessforensicpsychiatrist.com. <laughs> well, it's a pleasure always speaking with you. God bless you for the hard work you do. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. All right. We've got our final victim in on the house here. Let me bring his microphone up and uh, live. Always welcome back because I love saying your name so much. Hans von Spakowski from the Heritage Foundation. Good afternoon, Hans. How are you today? I'm doing fine. Thanks for having me back. Oh, it's always a pleasure. You know you're always welcome here. Um, I have to say, though, uh, Tom sent me the message less than an hour before you were supposed to, I was supposed to come on air. So I was scrambling last minute 
to pull up stuff and say, okay, 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 what am I going to talk to him about? Thankfully, he sent me the articles. So we got a lot to talk about. And one of the things that you wrote about is um, the election integrity scorecard. And I pulled mine up, and my state is ranked number eight. Number eight out of the top ten. Can you explain what the scorecard is and what it does and how people should be able to read it and understand what's going on? Uh, sure. Uh, although folks should not, uh, they <laughs> they need to examine it closely so they're not uh, somehow misled with some, by what some folks are saying about it. Look, basically, Annie, a year ago, we decided, because nobody's ever done this before, to look at every single state, look at the laws in every single state that we thought were relevant to having a clean, fair, and honest election. And we came up with a set of 12 categories, 12 broad categories, covering everything from does the state have a voter ID law to how do they handle absentee ballots to what do they do to clean up their voter registration list. And within those 12 broad categories, we came up with 47 very specific criteria. And to give you just a quick example, um, under the category of clean voter registration list, one of the criteria is, does the state regularly compare its voter registration list to its DMV data, its driver's license data, to find people who have, for example, moved out of state, who perhaps have died, who are not U.S. citizens, etc. Anyway, um, we then analyzed the laws and regulations of every single state, a perfect score, meaning you're doing all the things we, we think you ought to be doing, is 100 points. No state in the country scored 100 points. In fact, I think the highest mm. score of any state was 83 points, which is what, a C, a C minus, I think, in school. Um, so, yeah, I mean... You know, the top ten states, look, they're, they're doing well. They're better than the other states. But clearly, if the top-ranked state in the country, which is Georgia, has only got 83, it means there's still a lot of improvement that need to be made. Now, the other big warning for folks is that, look, this is not an analysis of the 2020 election. And, you know, mm-hmm. one of the warnings we put on the scorecard is, look, you could have the best laws in the world in your state, but if election officials or state officials don't comply with them, don't enforce them, then the laws aren't going to do you any good. Um, So with that proviso in mind, we're hoping states will use this because, look, you can go to any state. You can print out our summary of uh, what's going on in that state, and you can use that to say, for example, to state legislators, look, it says here we have no voter ID law. Why don't we have one? Yeah. <laughs> no, it's funny because I'm looking down the list for my state, and you have that we, we're doing four out of four for vote harvesting. I don't think that's actually true because here in the state of South Carolina, you're allowed to harvest up to 12 voters' ballots, um, even though they're supposed to be verified and signed and you know, whatever, um, we did have some hinky stuff going on with vote harvesting. Um, access of yeah, election but remember what I said. That, we can't look. Look, this yeah. is not. We can't. We can't score when people don't comply with the law. 
Okay, mm-hmm. I mean, for example, if a, if a state has a voter ID law, but there's something hinky going on in in one particular county because election officials there aren't complying with the law. I mean, we're not saying that's good, that's bad, but 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 we we're not rating the states on on that. We're rating them on the laws they actually have in place. Yeah. Well, it's very very interesting, and it was heartening to see that my state itself was scoring pretty high. Matter of fact, we're working on tightening it. Um, we've had our county delegation going up to the state house working with the president of the Senate and uh, other members of the legislature to uh, put in tightening of laws and close a lot of these uh, loopholes that we have. And one of the things is cleaning up the voter rolls. Uh, That's a big problem. And we've had some people independently doing it and coming up and saying, hey, listen, all these people have moved out of state or all these people have passed away. Uh, All these people no longer live in the district that they're registered to. And we've been working pretty hard on that. So, you know, there are a lot of us trying to help, <laughs> but it's, yeah, it's that's, an uphill that's, battle. It is. And, you know, one of the reasons it's an uphill battle is because, unfortunately, look, there's a lot of good election officials around the country, folks that want to do the right thing. But, unfortunately, there are some election officials in some places that um, they, they don't want to answer questions. They don't want the public and others, legislators and others, coming in and saying, well, why aren't you doing these things? They, they prefer to just keep the system the way it is. They don't want to have to worry about any of this. Uh, they resent it when folks start asking them questions, which is the public's right to know on all of these kinds of issues. And, and there are too many officials who aren't doing some of the most basic things they need to be doing. I mean, it's probably a surprise, folks. Nevada, uh, California, New York, Hawaii, all are ranked the worst states in the country um, because of the way they run their election systems, and they aren't doing the most basic things. They're not cleaning up and maintaining the actually their voter rolls. They don't request a voter ID. I mean, those are places where if you want to cheat in an election, it's easy to do. Your chances of getting caught are pretty nil. And even if you do get caught, often prosecutors won't bother to prosecute you. That is a recipe. No. That is a recipe for fraud. Well, now, you mentioned New York. Now, I understand there's a yes. couple of lawsuits going on against the city of New York for the uh, city right. council voting to allow alien, resident aliens to vote in local elections. But isn't that contrary to federal law and their state constitution? Uh, Federal law prohibits aliens from registering and voting in federal elections. The two lawsuits in in New York, one of them was filed under the state constitution of New York. And uh, the folks who filed that suit said that uh, when the city of New York uh, said that uh, aliens could vote in local elections, that still violates the state constitution because the state constitution says you have to be a citizen to vote in all elections in New York, whether it's a state election, a local election, or a municipal election. So that's one lawsuit. There's been a second lawsuit filed saying that um, 
when this was passed, uh, it was clearly done in violation of the 15th Amendment. Remember, the 15th Amendment, of course, is the amendment that gave black Americans the ability to vote. And under that um, amendment, a voting law that is passed with a racial motive violates the amendment. And all you have to do is look at the, um, uh, the hearings that were held by the city council. And the sponsors of this were talking about how, why were they doing this? Well, they were doing it so that um, brown, more brown people would be able to vote, talking about Hispanics. And they mm. totally ignored and dismissed um, the objections, for example, of black members of the city council who were saying, look, this is going to dilute the vote of black citizens in New York City. And they just overrode that. So that lawsuit says there's a federal violation going on here, a violation of the U.S. Constitution. Well, the founding fathers deliberately did not put anything in about the uh, local elections. They were more concerned about the influence of foreign entities on the office of the president. So I think that, am I reading this correctly, that you know, that is why the Constitution does not directly address local elections, but only the federal elections? Well, no, it's, it's, I think it's more of the fact that we are a federal system. And the founders said, well, the federal government only has say-so over federal elections. It's up to the state to run state elections and local elections in those states. They have sovereign government. They should make the decisions on that. And that's why uh, they did not um, put anything in the Constitution to try to control state elections. If they had, uh, the Constitution probably would never have gotten ratified. Well, now that brings us into Pennsylvania. What is going on over there? An appellate court uh, made a ruling saying that it, the change that the legislator made actually violated the state Constitution. Um, explain right. what was going on here, please. Boy, that's a really interesting case um, because of the now too late consequences it might have had for the 2020 election. Here's what happened. Pennsylvania is one of the states, like a number of others, where um, if you want to use an absentee ballot, you have to have a valid excuse for it. That was the law in Pennsylvania, a valid excuse like, you know, you're going to be out of town uh, or you're too sick or just too disabled um, to be able to vote on election day. However, in 2019, the state legislature passed a law amending that provision uh, and, and changed the state to a what's called a no-fault absentee voting state. In other words, anybody could use an absentee ballot. You didn't have to have an excuse. You didn't have to be ill. You didn't have to be out of town. Uh, anybody could use it. Well, what the court said now uh, three weeks ago, this is the Commonwealth Court of Pennsylvania. So that's one of the two state Court of Appeals, um, what they said was, well, the legislature, they didn't have the power to make that change. Why? Because the Pennsylvania state constitution, it does give um, the legislature the ability to uh, uh, set out laws that will allow people to vote with an absentee ballot, but that constitutional provision specifically says only for 
reasons such as they're too sick or disabled to be at a polling place or they're going to be out of town on election day or they can't vote at the polling place because of a religious observance. So in other words, it violated the state constitution for the legislature to change them to a no-fault absentee voting state. Now, it's been appealed to the Pennsylvania Supreme Court, which unfortunately unfortunately is a hotbed of liberal Democratic judges. Um, But here's the question, Annie. Here's the question. Mm -hmm. How many absentee ballots were submitted in the 2020 election that were invalid? Uh, under the ruling in this uh, in, in this uh, court decision, we don't know. We will never know. But but the key question, of course, is: Were they enough to have potentially changed the outcome of the election? Don't know. Wow. Yeah, because if you're doing it with the there's no excuse on there, how are you going to know whether or not they had a valid excuse? Because you don't have to put one down. So they may have had a valid reason to need one, but then again, they may not have. So how do you know the good ones? You have no way of knowing. Well, you don't. But but the point is that uh, if a a question came up about it, you would be able to investigate and and find out. But here, basically, the state legislature changed the law when they didn't have the power to do it, and lots of people voted under that change, which it turns out was unconstitutional. Well, we want to talk about Chuck Schumer, one of my favorite people. Matter of fact, Joe Pinion from (laughs) Newsmax is running against him. He was supposed to be on the show today, but he's traveling, so he'll be on next week. Um, So hopefully Joe Pinion will be able to knock Chuck off his pedestal. But he was trying to kill the filibuster. At the same time, he was trying to get the freedom to vote, the John R. Lewis Act. Oh, man. Everything about this whole thing was completely unconstitutional, but he almost was able to single-handedly gut our election system completely. He, he almost did it in. But would have this had a, a perfect challenge to go up to the Supreme Court and be completely overturned? Um, well, the answer to that is maybe. <laughs> and I hate to tell Uh-oh. you that, but... Uh-oh. Look, this, this, was a, this was a huge bill. Okay? It was hundreds of pages. It was filled with numerous provisions. And while I have no doubt that the Supreme Court would have found many of the provisions unconstitutional, there were other provisions in it that I'm afraid they would have said were constitutional, even though they were really bad policy and an unwise thing for Congress to do. So, no, I don't think the entire bill would have got thrown out. I think portions of it would have, but that would have left us still with bad provisions in place. Um, and you think about it, I, this is the situation that Justice uh, Scalia talked about very famously when he once said that, you know, there are many laws that are passed by Congress that while they're really stupid, they're still constitutional. <laughs> Unfortunately, that's so very, very true. So very yeah, true. I'm look- yeah, I'm looking at the clock. Oh, my goodness. It's only about 10 minutes left. Um, you had a great article that you wrote in The Federalist dealing with Jim Crow 2.0. And um, Joe Biden has promised 
to select a black jurist for SCOTUS, for the Supreme Court. I mean, knocking anyone out that might be highly qualified. I mean, I know we're, we're exchanging a liberal for a liberal, but shouldn't this be a meritocracy? It shouldn't be based upon gender and race. And that's, that's exactly what Jim Crow was, wasn't it? It was. You know, uh, these, these days, for the left, particularly Joe Biden and Chuck Schumer, that seems to be their uh, favorite phrase, Jim Crow 2.0. And they use it. They use it against anyone who opposes any of their policies. It doesn't matter what it is, they bring that out. They've used it a lot in the voting contest to, to talk about election reforms like voter ID requirements being Jim Crow 2.0. But look, as I said in this article, um, the policies that most resemble Jim Crow are those that progressives like Joe Biden Chuck Schumer are trying to put in. I mean, they're trying to implement what is, in essence, a racial spoil system throughout the federal government. Uh, they support racial preferences, which is basically discrimination in college admissions across the country. And, uh, you know, Joe Biden, with what he's doing at the Supreme Court, he's doing something that uh, no private person could do. You know, there's a good reason we passed the Civil Rights Act in 1964 to prohibit and ban discrimination in, you know, employment, in education, um, on the basis of race and, and gender. And uh, the president basically is doing what no one else can do. And, you know, what kind of an example is that that he's giving uh, to folks? And this, this goes throughout this administration, remember, Biden's uh, Food and Drug Administration, FDA, just a little while ago, told states that it was okay to ration or prioritize COVID treatments based on race, which is scientifically and medically completely irrational, has no basis in any of that. Um, And yet he's saying, the president that such discrimination is okay and fully justified. And that's just one of many examples throughout the entire federal government. Oh, man. Uh, there's so much that goes on because right after they passed the Civil Rights Act in 1964, a handful of years later, they passed affirmative action, which is in direct contrast to the Civil Rights Act of 1964. So now you can use race and gender to determine, you know, whether or not you get that job or not. And trust me, in the 1970s, I was told I was the wrong color. I could not get the job. Uh, or I was way too young, even though I was of age. Uh, I was told so many different things. I'm like, wait a minute. I thought the Civil Rights Act said you can't discriminate. Oh, but you don't understand the affirmative action. Because these people were put down so much, we have to give them a head start. In other words, they're too, too dumb to compete. That's, that, that, that is the, the worst piece of bigotry I could ever hear coming from someone. You know, let me compete fairly. And if they are the better person for the job, give it to them. But if I'm the better person, I deserve it. So the meritocracy goes out the window. You're no longer based upon the content of your character but the color of your skin. Hence, the affirmative action is going before the Supreme Court, is it not? It, it is. Uh, 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 hopefully, finally. 
the Supreme Court will end uh, what is now being done, look, not just in the so-called elite Ivy League schools where they definitely discriminate against students based on their skin color, uh, but it's now happening um, in state schools all over the country. Uh, the lawsuits that the Supreme Court just accepted for review, uh, one was against Harvard, uh, one was against the University of North Carolina. And what those two states, uh, two, two uh, colleges are doing is they're discriminating against particularly Asian American students and white students um, and, and discriminating in favor of uh, black students and Hispanic students. And uh, the Supreme Court uh, just a couple of weeks ago said they would accept those cases for review. The, the plaintiffs in those cases unfortunately lost in the lower courts, not because they didn't produce the evidence. The evidence was blatant that both schools are discriminating, uh, but because the judges said, well, this kind of discrimination is okay. Well, it's not. And hopefully the Supreme Court will finally end uh, this kind of discrimination in the academic arena. And, and keep in mind, Andy, look, it's not just college admissions, but look, you've, you've actually got schools and colleges now um, re, re-putting in racially segregated dormitories. Dorms, Why? yep. Yeah. Dorms. But they say, oh, well, you know, um, students, need these so they'll feel safe and protected. No, what's going on here is they're taking us backwards in time and they're reversing all of the terrific gains we have made in stopping discrimination in this country and making it morally unacceptable. They are teaching kids, oh, no, no, discrimination is okay as long as the right people are being discriminated against. Exactly. Or, you, know, you have safe spaces. Hello, you can't come into this part of the, ca- the cafeteria because you're white. This is a safe space for non-whites. No, wait a minute. Yeah, I mean, we worked first off for the integration, and now you just reverse engineer the whole entire thing. But that's the main purpose between critical race theory and the main purpose with Black Lives Matter. Separate the races again. You've got one group of victims. Right. And you got one group of, of people that you're going to blame it all on. So the people that you uh, blame are going to apologize for the rest of their life. Right. Yeah, but it's not just one group of victims these days, particularly in college admissions. The people discriminating, uh, the, the worst discrimination in college admissions these days is occurring against Asian-American students. That's, uh, they, they are high they are high achievers. You know, they do very well academically. Um, they, they have high qualifications, and yet they are the ones that are being kept out of schools like Princeton and Harvard and the University of North Carolina. No, so you've got to dumb down the education system because our public education system can no longer produce a quality student able to compete equally in the marketplace. So you have to dumb everything down, and then in order to do that, you have to have an excuse for it, and that excuse becomes affirmative action. So throw out the Civil Rights Act of 1964, because from here on in, it never existed. Hans, it has been so much fun having you on, and thank you for agreeing to come in last minute. Sure, thanks. Thanks for having me. 
All right. And people can find you over at Heritage Foundation, heritage.org. If they click on your name, uh, they can pull up all your articles. And if they want to see the scorecard, go to the article of February 6th under Election Integrity, How to Earn Voters' Trust, the Heritage Foundation's Election Integrity Scorecard. You have a link on there. that You can click on the link and pull up their state and compare their state against other states, correct? That is exactly right. Ah, I, guess, I guess occasionally get a couple things right. Plus, you have a book out, too, correct? <laughs> uh, I do have a book out. It's called uh, Our Broken Elections, How the Left Changed the Way You Vote. It's available on, at Barnes & Noble and Amazon. John Fund is my co-author. People, I'm sure, read him at National Review, and he used to work at the Wall Street Journal. Well, thank you very much, Hans, and I look forward to having you back again real soon. Sure thing, anytime. All right. Hans von Spakowski, check him out over at heritage.org, and check out the scorecard on that article I gave you. We'll be back next week. Um, We've got author Jeremy Murphy coming on. He's got a book out, F off Chloe. Um, Mark Tastat (laughs) will be on. Now, Joe Pinion, who's running against Chuck Schumer, Tentatively has said yes because he couldn't be on today. He's hoping to make it next week. Troy Nels, a congressman out of Texas, was supposed to be on today. Again, he had to go to Congress to, I guess, go on the House floor. He's with Texas District 22. Um, So we already got ourselves a great lineup for next week. And going into the following week, we've got uh, Bernadette Broyles. Uh, She's going to be talking about uh, child and parent rights and human trafficking. And then after that, Kathy Barnett, who's running for Senate out of Pennsylvania. We're rocking and rolling. We're booking way ahead. So I want to thank everyone for joining us. And we will be back next week and hopefully less glitches. (laughs) One of these days I'll have a show with no glitches. But anyway, I'm going to leave you with the song from my friend Gary Pecorella, Save America. So until then, I say good night and God bless.
get love. 